0: everybody and welcome to episode 59 of the so video games podcast where we talk about any game at all including new stuff old stuff and anything in between if we're playing it we will be talking about it tonight we are recording on tuesday november 28th 2017 my name is Corey motley i am a staff writer at gamecritics.com and i'm 50 percent of this show the other lovely gentleman here with me, who is the other 50% of the show, is Brad Galloway, and he is the editor of Game Critics. How are you, Brad?
1: I am doing well, Corey, and I'm happy to be here talking with you tonight.
0: Yay, me too, except for me talking to you. Um, <laughs> I'm happy that you're People... talking to me too, Brad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm happy
1: we're both talking to a really fucking awkward <laughs> podcast otherwise. Um we kind of covered it in the banter at the end of the show, so listen in if you want to. But yeah, it's kind of it's been kind of a process to get to this recording session. Hopefully,
0: uh, uh, it'll go with all, without a hitch. So, yes, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, well, it is our first show after Thanksgiving. So, happy late Thanksgiving to everyone, uh, everybody, should you choose to celebrate it. Uh, Brad and I, well, I guess I kind of talked about what I did over the break, um, over Thanksgiving break and about my road trip during the banter segment. So, if you want to hear about my trip among a lot of other things. Uh, You can stay tuned at the end of the show because the banter will be after all of the games talk. Um, Full disclosure, before we start the games talk, I was out of town for Thanksgiving, as I think I mentioned on the last show, and I was very busy over the holiday weekend. So I actually, I've played a tiny bit of stuff over the past couple days, but I haven't played anything enough to feel like I can speak about it on any authority. So tonight's show is going to be very, very Brad heavy for the formal games talk. But we've got some um, panel discussion topics later that I will be able to weigh in a little bit more on. So, Brad, you've been playing a lot of stuff. What do you want to talk about first?
1: Um, I had a lot of stuff written down. I haven't been playing a lot of it, though. So I guess <laughs> let's jump into let's jump into um, night terrors on the Switch. Uh, If people were listening last episode, I think we talked about, that was when I talked about how difficult it was to bring the Switch with me to work. Did I talk about that last episode? Uh,
0: You have talked about how you are uncomfortable taking the Switch out in public.
1: Yes, yes. Okay, so I didn't have anything to play on 3DS, and I knew I was going to be in a position today at work where I would have some time to kill, and I didn't want to sit around with nothing to do. So I just was like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to bring it. I'll just, you know, I mean, this is kind of the reality we're in right now. And we'll touch on this in a discussion topic later on. But I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll just bring it. It's fine. I'll just, I'll figure it out. So I brought it. And um, without getting into the mechanics of actually using the Switch, I downloaded a game called Night Terrors. It's K-N-I-G-H-T. So like night, like a soldier in armor, Night Terrors which is put out, published by Nicholas, who they do like some really um, indie type stuff. And they're really making a big push on the Switch. Uh, It's a very small game. I think it's only a couple bucks. uh, And it was one of the things that I bought, like when I first turned on my Switch and I went to the Nintendo store and none of the garbage had really hit the Switch store yet. There's (laughs) there's a fair amount of garbage in there right now. But at the time there was very few things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is an indie I've heard of. This is an indie I've heard of. And I've played um, some of other Nicholas's other games. So I, I have a, you know, a fair amount of trust for them as a publisher. So I'm like, oh, that's fine. I'll, I'll kick him a couple bucks and I'll, I'll download this. So I played Night Terrors. It's a very short, bite-sized kind of experience. Basically, it's... I mean, it's probably most analogous to like a combination of like Flappy Bird and any infinite runner on iOS. Are you familiar with Flappy Bird, Corey? Yes. Or did you play... Okay. So you're going to... This is probably going to sound pretty familiar. Basically, you play a knight who runs from left to right, graphics are super, super simple. Like the background is just like pure black. There's like a grassy surface that you run on. And then there are little pillars that pop up in the screen as the game scrolls, just like Flappy Bird, basically. Um, so your knight can, he runs from left to right. There's one button to attack and one button to jump. And that's all there is. Like there's no there's no other buttons. And when a pillar shows up, you jump You tap the button. He just does like a small jump. If you keep tapping the button, he sprouts these little bat wings and he can like fly up in the air if he needs to get higher up over a tall pillar or something like that. Um, And you just do that. Like you run, you hop over spiky pits, you hop over pillars. Enemies will come. At first, it's just like really simple zombies where one swipe of your sword as you're running will kill them. Um, And to be fair, like one swipe will kill anything in the game because it's a very fast moving kind of infinite runner sort of thing. There's no, like, combat system or combos or anything like that. You either kill them or you you miss them. Like, that's all. So you keep running. Um, Eventually, you know, the game throws more and more stuff at you where you're, like, you're jumping more. You have to be in the air a little bit more. Enemies will vary their movement. So, like, at first it's zombies who walk in a straight line. Then you'll see these bats who are midair, so you have to jump up. Then you get, like, these skeleton heads, which kind of go, like, in an up-and-down zigzag motion. Then these UFOs show up, which I'm not sure why UFOs show up, but... (laughs) UFOs kind of shrink and get bigger. So it's kind of hard to gauge where they're going to be. And you just keep going, going, going as long as you can go until you die. Like there's no ending as far as I can tell. There's just go until you die. like kind of a score chase sort of a thing. Um, After you hit a certain threshold in the main game, this other mode opens up. There's actually four other modes in addition to the main game that I just described that you need to unlock. Um, You cannot choose them at first. You must get good at each mode before the next one unlocks, I've at this point, since I just started playing the game, like basically today, I've only unlocked one extra mode because, um, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's not like crazy hard, but you know, it's one of those Twitch reflex games. So, you know, you, you get good as you get into a rhythm, but like, you know, every time you start a new game, you got to just focus and you really got to be in the zone. You can't just like kind of half-ass it because you'll die pretty quickly. Um, you have three hits at the beginning, you can later get extra hearts and stuff like that, but basically it's three hits and you're dead. Or if, if three monsters get by you, like if you miss one and they get to the end of the screen and you pass them, that's counted as a loss. So you, if you get three misses, you lose, or if you get hit three times, you lose. Basically, that's all the game is. Super simple, very straightforward, very easy to understand. Um, I played a fair amount today and... It's like I would kind of get bored of it, but then I would think to myself that I could do better. So I'm going to do one more try, even though I didn't really want to. But I kind of kept coming back to it because I kept feeling like I could do better. And I did keep getting better. Like every run, got I got a little further. Score got a little higher. Um, but I mean, there's really not a lot to it. Like it's basically something that could easily be run on an iPhone you know, as like an infinite runner, um, there's not a lot of options. There's nothing fancy. There's nothing to do really besides just the running and jumping and hitting. So if you're in the mood for that on your Switch, go for it. I mean, it certainly filled up 20, 25 minutes of my time, no problem. And uh, I do want to come back to it and unlock some of the extra modes. Um, The second mode that opens up is called uh, Flight Terror, I think, where in that one, the ground disappears after a while and it just becomes spikes. And so you have to spend a lot more time just hovering in the air with your bat wings. And so um, kind of a slightly different skill set where you're managing your verticality a lot more. Definitely challenging. Did not get very far in that one and I didn't put too much time into it, but I will come back to it. I would like to to at least unlock all the modes. Um, So it's okay, it's fine. I mean, graphics, super simple. Control, super simple. The one gripe that I have about it is that... um, you cannot adjust the controls. And it's really weird because the Switch controls itself are feeling kind of weird from the get-go. Uh, but it's like, it's like, it's such a simple game, jump and attack, the only two buttons you have. And the Switch has like dozens of buttons on its, in its hardware. I was really frustrated that there's no option to change the configuration because I wanted jump or... Like on like, if you're looking at your controller, like the traditional like diamond array of the face buttons, right? I like jump to be on the bottom button, and I like attack to be on the left button, um, which would be like a square on a PlayStation pad. So I like jump to be X and square, if that was a PS4 pad. If that helps people understand what I'm talking about, but you can't change it. You can't change it at all. So it's like, I don't like to use the shoulder buttons because they feel a little mushy to me, and I feel like timing is really important. So I want to use the face buttons, and like if you follow the, I mean, you have to use the basic configuration where square on a PS4 pad would be, um, jump and then circle would be attack. And that to me felt really counterintuitive where my my thumb was kind of going back and forth and it didn't feel good to do that. And I felt like, like, it seems like a small thing, but like the fraction of a second that it would take for my thumb to go that extra distance was fucking me up. And I'm like, this takes too long. Like I can feel that it's taking me too long physically but you can also use the buttons on the left side of the switch and the left triggers. So like, I'm kind of like jumping with my left thumb on the furthest left button on the switch. And I'm attacking with my right thumb on the furthest right button on the switch, which is weird, but it, that one works the best. But I mean, straight up, like there's no excuse to not have a button configuration in this. It's such a simple game. It's so basic. I don't know why they don't do it. That should be just like required for any game at this, uh, in this day and age. Also, load times are strangely long. When you die after a run, it takes like three times longer than you would expect to get back in the action. And I feel like it would be better if I could just instantly try again, kind of like meat boy style, but it takes a fair amount of time, much longer than you would think to load the game back up and get back in the action, which I think is a problem. Um, Not a huge problem, but it is a problem. So a couple of technical issues, but overall, I mean, it is what it is and it does what it does and it's fine. I mean, I think it was a couple bucks, so it's okay. Um, if you want something Infinite Runner style, this this will fit the bill on the Switch. So
0: does this appeal to you, Corey? Are you a fan of Infinite Runner type deals? I am not. I think I've only played like maybe a couple of Infinite Runners in my life. And I I'm just not into games like that. It needs to be a finite experience for me. And it needs to have like levels that I can work toward and complete and feel like, like trying over and over again for the highest score is not enough for me to like, want to keep coming back to it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, to be honest, I didn't realize it was an infinite runner when I bought it. I thought it would be kind of more of a traditional level based thing. So I was a little bit surprised. I, you know, that's on me because I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't do all the research. Um, so I was a little bit surprised when I started it, but thankfully Um, Unlocking those extra modes will be kind of like my end point. Like once I unlock the final mode, I'll be like, okay, I'm done (laughs) because I'm not a score chaser. I'm not a person who likes to just keep playing and playing and playing with no end. So that'll be my, my, my goal. And if I meet that great, and if I don't meet it, whatever, it's fine. I mean, I'm not like super, super sold on this game, but it's fine for what it is. So it's okay. Um, Let me jump to my next topic of discussion. Also on the Switch, I, uh, I got ARMS from Gamefly. I had put it on my queue a million years ago, knowing that I would eventually someday get a Switch, and that day came. <laughs> and I've had it sitting on my desk for like a long time, but I just didn't get around to it until recently uh, because I just haven't been bringing the Switch. But I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's the perfect time. Let's pop ARMS in, and I'll bring this with me, too, and we'll just give it a go. So I gave it a shot. ARMS is a basically a I mean, a fighting game, it's not exactly like a fighting game, but it's basically a fighting game, PvP game, really, where you pick a character from, like, one of a dozen or whatever, and the hook to this game is that your character's arms are super, super stretchy. So, like, when you throw a punch, your, your, your punch goes out, but then your fist travels all the way across the screen. Like, imagine if your character's arms are made of, like, a slinky or something like that, or, like, a, you know, a spring or something, or a ribbon, where you punch and your punch just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes until it gets to like the the end of the arena and then it either hits your opponent or it doesn't and then you pull your fist back and you try again. I was kind of intrigued by this because I liked the character design and I th- I saw some videos and I thought it looked pretty neat. Um, so I gave it a whirl, and actually I finished the campaign. You can finish the campaign in like fifteen minutes. Like it's a very short single player experience because they obviously want you to play online or play versus with your friends or something. Um, there's not a lot to do if you're a single person. So I blew through the campaign, no problem. Um, and after that, I got kind of bored of it. I mean, the, the punching mechanic is interesting and I think that it feels different from any other fighting game that I've played because not only do you have to kind of like aim, but you have to like guide your fist. So like when you punch, the fist doesn't just go in a straight line, like you can curve it. So like you can go around things or you can, you know, you can fake it to go right, but then it curves left or you can fake it to go down and then it goes up or something like that. So you have some limited control of your fist once you punch. And in addition to that, there are special gloves that you can unlock through this really stupid, bogus minigame. You can't just buy what you want to buy, which is dumb, Um, but you have to play this minigame to kind of like unlock these extra punching gloves, which can do different things. Like one can freeze somebody if it gets a good square punch on them one has like a little bird attached to it that when you punch the bird flies off and it's kind of like a (laughs) missile one is like an umbrella like when you punch the umbrella opens and that kind of it can make you glide in the air longer or it it opens up and acts as like a shield there's um you know like a variety of little gimmicky gloves that you can equip on your character which you know kind of adds a little bit of a different spin um if you you know find it a setup for your person that you like um it was okay i mean it was fine I got kind of bored of it pretty quickly though. Like I said, I blew through the campaign in like 15 minutes and I just didn't really want to go through the campaign again because it wasn't really that fun. And I guess, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there's not any depth to it, but I feel like I figured it out pretty quick and it, without a real person to fight against, it just kind of got kind of boring. Um, character design is really kind of neat. I uh, this I don't know if you caught this when it came out, but one of the characters, I think she was one of the bonus characters that was not there at launch, but she was added later on. And her name is Twintel. Do you
0: know about Twintel? I don't know about Twintel.
1: Oh, she made quite a stir when she was released in the game. And actually, this is one of the reasons I wanted to check it out, because, um, you know, Nintendo is traditionally seen as a pretty chaste company. Like, you know, they don't spend a lot of time on TNA. I mean, themselves never. Um, But something has happened recently, and they've started to see the value of having um, a hot piece of ass in their game which other developers have known for decades. So Nintendo, somebody up in, in Nintendo has been like, you know what? We need some more, we need some more, um, we need some more appeal. We need some more sex appeal in our games. We need to sizzle this up. So Twintel was added. She is, I guess, African-American. I mean, she's not really super dark and her facial features seem like she's just like generic anime character. Um, but they gave her like this like, ta booty. And I'm like, when you're playing the character, you're, the camera is behind her. So you're constantly looking at her butt. Um, and you know, to be perfectly fair, it's a very nice butt. So I don't have a problem looking at it, but it was very surprising to see that much of, um, I mean, not totally sexualized, but I think a little sexualized in a Nintendo game, because usually they're, you know, Princess Peach has her billowing dress and, you know, Oh Mario. And that's about as far as it goes. Like, you don't ever see Peach in a hot bikini or anything like that. Or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So to see them go this route was a little bit surprising, and I think that other people have mentioned too, like uh, with um, uh, Breath of the Wild, some of the characters uh, are a little more sexualized in that than is the norm for Nintendo. So I was curious to see what they had done because I heard a lot about Twintel when she when she popped up, heard a lot of uh, pent up nerds uh, talking about her. So I thought it was something I should probably investigate, and uh, yeah, that panned out. I could see why I could see why she was very popular on Tumblr for a while. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but otherwise it was fine. I mean, I, I honestly haven't played it since that first day. I just, you know, like I said, beat it. I got, I got, uh, the gist of it and I kind of moved on and I don't really see myself coming back to it. So, eh, it's okay. I mean, I think they could do more with it. I mean, I kind of wish there was like an adventure mode or something to do other than just the PVP. Um, cause it seems like it runs out of gas pretty quick, but oh, well, any interest in arms, Corey?
0: Uh, not really. I mean, I don't have a Switch, although I will probably get one at some point in the future, but this is not one of those games I'm particularly interested in. But have you, uh, have you tried, like, playing, because you can play it, like, with, like, your, like, wife or your son, right? Like, can you do it that way?
1: Um, yeah, I think you can. I, to be honest with you, I haven't investigated that because I just wasn't really enjoying the game enough to try to get my family into it. Like, if I had had a really good time, I would have been like, oh, okay, honey, try this, or hey. Uh, son, come here and play this. But I was like, eh. And in fact, like my son wanted to play it. Like he's like, dad, don't send it back to Gamefly. Um, I want to try it. And for like the last three or four days, I've been like, I'm going to send it back you wanna play this. He's like, nah, <laughs> and he doesn't want to send it back, but he doesn't want to play it. So like, he obviously <laughs> isn't that interested in it. And I don't think my wife would, um, this is not her jam. So I haven't even bothered. But yeah, I think there's multiple ways you can play it. You can play it with the, uh, what are those fucking things? Joy-Cons, Joy-Cons. You can play it with the Joy-Cons on the side of the controller. You can play it one Joy-Con in each hand. I haven't tried the motion controls because I'm kind of just generally anti-motion controls, um, you know, basically every day, all day, all the time, 24-7. Um, so I didn't bother doing that, but I think it controlled just fine. I will say, though, that it was hard to find out how to adjust the buttons. You can you can remap the buttons, which is good because the default setup is insane. It is just <laughs> fucking makes no sense whatsoever. And in fact, people were telling me they only recently patched in the option to change the buttons. If I had not been able to change the buttons, I would have stopped playing that game in like five minutes. I would (laughs) send it back immediately. Because like I said, with Night Terror, like you need to be able to change your buttons. Like it's just, it's stupid to not be able to offer that option. So easy, so basic. It's just, it should come standard in every game. So, um, for people listening who haven't played ARMS, it, the, the option to change the controls is not in the main menu where I would assume it would be. You have to actually start a game. And then once you pause, it's in that menu. So I was like getting really frustrated looking through all the menus at the beginning of the game. Like, well, how can I change these buttons? These buttons suck. What's going on? Didn't find it. Didn't find it. Started getting angry. And then someone's like, oh, you have to actually get into the game Then it's here. And then apparently it just got patched in and they put it in a weird place. So heads up that it's there, but it's there. So now it works a lot better. You can change the buttons much better. Um, but you know, whatevs. I mean, it's kind of cute. It's kind of cool. But just straight up, I just got bored of it real quick. I just didn't didn't really want to come back to it. So that's all that's all there was to arms, man.
0: Yeah, I uh, remember whenever I went to New York, I don't think I talked about this whenever I went to New York. But when I was there, I went to the Nintendo store and like the flagship Nintendo store. And they have like a giant screen on the second floor and they have a bunch of like, you know, they have like some Wii U's and some, um, you know, like 3DS's and stuff set up where people can play them and demo them. And they had a, a switch set up where there were people doing the versus mode on like the big screen on the upstairs. And I watched some people play it for a little while. And I mean, it kind of like, I'm not into fighting games at all. Um, it's been a long 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 time since i've been into a fighting game i'm pretty sure the last fighting game i was into was virtual fighter 4 on the playstation 2 um maybe power stone on the Dreamcast. but uh um but yeah just watching them play i mean it the game just kind of seems like a one trick pony like i i mean i know there's not really like a ton you can do with a fighting game but like it seemed like once the novelty of like Punching people with long arms wore off. That there wasn't really a whole lot of meat on the bones.
1: Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. I mean I'm sure that if you were a fighting game connoisseur or if you spent a lot of time with the game, I mean I'm not saying that there's no depth to it. I mean I'm sure if you unlocked all of the different punching gloves and you had options to change things around and you know maybe the other characters move differently. I mean I took uh Twintel through the campaign. And then I tried a couple of other characters really quickly, and I was just like, eh, okay, whatever, whatever. And I just wasn't really into it. Um, you know, there's probably more to it than what I saw, but what I saw wasn't really enough to keep me interested, you know? So, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, just uh, I'm going to let that one probably uh, – I'm going to let that one go, I think. I think that's uh, the end of my time with uh, with ARMS.
0: Would you say that you might, uh, you might let it off the hook?
1: That wasn't bad. I was wondering where you're going with that. I heard it. I heard the setup coming in and I'm like, where is he going? What's he doing? And that's that was alright. That was alright. That's not your best, but not your worst either. So all right.
0: it's clearly not my best, but they're all bad. Not... They're all bad. So
1: But there are degrees there are degrees of bad. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. Uh all right, so that's all I have to say on arms. Um also, um, this week I know that I keep promising I'm gonna talk about um Hand of Fate 2, and by God, I mean I it, but I I just <laughs> I can't find the time to work it in, uh, and I'll tell you just really quickly, um, I, I keep starting it up, and what happens is, the game, I think, has changed the way that it controls, and it's gotten a little bit harder, so what happens is, I have limited amount of time, I jump in, I start playing the game, I get to this one combat sequence in, like, the first level, like, literally the first level, and then I die, because I feel like I just need more time to, like, learn the timing, and to get my groove on and I just I can't get the timing right and so I die and what happens is you got to start the whole level over and then I'm like fuck okay time's up I got to go. So I haven't really made it very far in that game and I want to but I just, you know, like starting from the beginning when you die is kind of a bummer if you don't have enough time to really sink in and just get comfortable and replay and replay and replay which I don't. So I I will talk about it at some point, that will not be this week and that's kind of what's going on and it's, I feel kind of lame because I haven't gotten past the first level yet, but like, I'm just like, Oh dude, I'm like a grown ass man. Like I just don't have time to like go back to level one. If I die, Like, I want to just replay that battle and get, and get good at it um, and practice some more, but you have to get through a bunch of stuff before you can get to the battle. And then I die. I got to get through it again. I'm like, okay, well, okay. Pause next week. And then next week comes and then the same shit happens. And I'm like, okay, next week. So I know, I know you keep kicking the can down the road, but I will get to it at some point. Um, Sorry guys. I know you guys are, are very, very excited to hear me talk about this game. And it's so thrilling that I keep postponing it week after week. So <laughs> maybe by the time I finally talk about it, it'll be on sale on PSN. Who knows? Um, but I will talk really quickly. We have a couple of random rambling discussion points that I want to talk about. But real quick, I cannot skip Weekly Warframe, the new segment in our, in our show. We're going to be doing this every week. This is our, I don't know, second, third consecutive week of Weekly Warframe. This is a good week. This is a good week, man. Uh, I got to say, um, so Black Friday rolled around. And I bought a bunch of stuff from the Warframe store. I'm a total geek, I know, but I bought like a hat and a shirt and a statue. I was really excited. It All came. I was really. It's really neat. Got some. Got some swag going on in my Game Critics West studio here. So I'm really <laughs> excited. But in terms of gameplay, in terms of gameplay, uh, me and the wife were playing with a couple of guys that we met on Twitter. Kind of a convoluted story about how we met, but anyway, they're kind of like in the Warframe circle on Twitter. Uh, one guy is called Patches. The other guy, uh, his name is Chris. Um, and they both are like long time vets of the game. They've got many, many, many hours in, but they're very nice guys. And we hooked up with them to do some four player action. We're at the point of the game where we're, we've almost got the whole thing unlocked and we're getting close to like the end game content for the original content stuff. Um, there's more to it, of course, but just, you know, we're kind of like going through it for the first time. So we're still unlocking some of the, the starter quests and, and seeing the end game for the first time. And there's this one point where you have to do these challenge rooms i didn't know what they even were because the game doesn't tell you it just says um def, you know find and complete three challenge rooms before you can move on i'm like i don't even know what a challenge room is where do i find that what's going I on i am so,
0: shocked first of all that warframe would have something that it doesn't tell you about and doesn't explain that is so bizarre for that game how weird
1: so i so <laughs> unlike that game right
0: so out of the blue and unexpected
1: um no i mean you're not kidding though you're not kidding i I had no idea. Every time I start feeling like I understand the game, something new pops up. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know anything about this game now. And I just keep getting sent back to square one. But in an interesting way, like these mechanics are adding up and adding up um, in a good way, in a good way. So apparently these challenge rooms were added like after a while, after the game had been out and people wanted something new to do. Um, so basically you go to this level and like every once in a while, you'll come across this weird room that just seems different from the rest and you can just run right through it. No problem. And skip it and forget it even exists. But if you take the time to explore that particular room, if you notice it, um, there are different things that'll unlock. And then it's kind of like this little mini challenge and they don't tell you like what it is. They don't tell you what to do. They don't tell you what the goal is, but you just have to figure it out. So, uh, the wife and I, we found a couple and I'm like, Oh, this seems like a weird room. Let's explore this. And we, we kind of got the gist of some of them, but they're pretty complicated. They don't, they're not as simple as flipping a switch or whatever. Like sometimes you have to be in a certain place and jump a certain way and shoot a certain thing. And then the room will change and then something will unlock. And then you got to do something else. I mean, it's a pretty, a pretty elaborate puzzle. Uh, and there's several different ones. I think there's like nine different puzzle rooms in all our challenge rooms. I'm sorry. So we hit a couple where you needed to have more than two people, which was kind of a bummer because we got there. We were just the two of us. Um, so we called in uh, Patches and Chris, who we had played with before, and they were, you know, they knew what was going on. They've been through the game like a million times, so they were going to help us out. Um, so we got to this one room where the whole room is shaped like a giant fucking like pipe organ. Like, one of the, you know, those old, I don't know, I don't know if they're steam powered or whatever, but you know, like the... The ones you see in a church where like like those 10,000 brass pipes coming out the back of it. And it's always like the Phantom of the Opera is playing in the movie <laughs> or something like that, you know?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: Okay. So the whole room is like one of those. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Why don't even know what we're even doing? And they're like, oh, okay, we know what to do. So like you had to shoot this thing on the wall and it would open up one of the pipes and then you had to jump in the pipe and you had to get shot up into the air and you had to land on this platform. And then once you on this platform, you shoot this other button and it opens up more pipes. So basically you want to jump. Every time you jump, you want to land in like a higher pipe and keep going up and up and up and up and up until you finally get to the top of the pipes. I think it's like a series of maybe four or five jumps. Uh, If you've touched the ground at any point, all the pipes close and you have to start all the way over from the beginning, which is kind of a bummer. So they, they really incentivize you on not falling. But you get the pipes open. You keep jumping higher and higher. You unlock more pipes and then you get to the top. And in the top of the room there's this very, very small circle. Like it's barely just big enough for your Warframe to fit through. So, uh, Patches was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta get somebody up there. First of all, get in this pipe. This pipe's going to open the door and then you got to get shot up. You got to make it in that hole and then just stay there. And I'm like, oh dude, that looks hard. So we, I mean, we fucked. I mean, this is like the process of like over two hours, right? Like we're getting the jumps (laughs) down, falling, hitting the ground, fuck son of a bitch, get back up there. Almost got it. Fuck fell down. Like, I mean, it's not a quick thing. And these guys are pros. And, you know, me and my wife were no slouch at playing games, but it took us a while. And I'm like, we finally got the whole thing going. We got the hatch in the ceiling open. All we had to do was all four of us had to get up in that hatch. So like Chris gets up there, no problem. First time gets up there. I'm like, hey, good job. Uh, after that, Patches gets up there no problem. And then it's me and the wife. So remember, if you fuck this jump up and you touch the ground, all these hatches close and you got to do them all again. And it's really, really complicated. And me and my wife are like, oh, my God. These guys are already up there waiting for us. If we fuck it up. Oh, God. Like, just so embarrassing, right? So the wife goes next. And she's like, "She's like, I don't want to mess this up. I'm going to be the girl that <laughs> didn't make the jump. I'm like, I know, I know. But you're good. You can do it. So, like, we're, we're both nervous, right? Like, she doesn't want to fuck it up because she doesn't want to be the girl that can't do the jump, right? Like, it looks bad. I mean, I, I believe in her. I know she's got awesome skills. In fact, I think often she's a better player than I am, especially when it comes to first person shooters. Uh, but, you know, Patches and Chris don't, we, I mean, we're friends, but we don't know each other like that well. And I, you know, I just, she just didn't want to be the girl that couldn't do it. Right. It's <laughs> like, I totally get that. She jumps up in one of the pipes, sails right up through the fucking thing, perfectly square, like no problem. I'm like, oh, yeah, you made it right on. She's like, oh my God, I made it. I'm like, yeah, I know, right on. And so, like, it comes down to me, I'm the last person, right? So I'm like, oh, fuck if I don't make this, all these hatches are going to close and I'm going to turn the game off because I can't do this and everybody's so embarrassed (laughs) and like no one's going to, you know, just go ahead without me, guys. Just forget about me. So I go to the hatch, jump up, totally fuck up the jump. I messed it up and I, I, I hit my head on the ceiling and bounced back down and I was like, Totally crushing my controller to, like, trick my guy to jump off to the side so he didn't touch the ground. And I'm like, oh, no, don't, don't fall And I totally, like, saved it, like, the last second. I caught the edge of the platform, and I, I climbed back up. Oh, my God. But there was only one hatch left. And, like, this was my final chance, right? If I didn't make this jump, like, the, the whole thing was going to close, and that was it. So I was like, oh, fuck. I'm going to be the one dude that doesn't get in there. It's going to be, oh, it's I'm terrible. So, like, I get in there, and I just, like, take a second to breathe. And I, like, jump up, get all the way up to the hatch. And like I missed the hatch and I start to fall and then I grabbed like the ledge of the wall and warframes can wall run, right? So like I touched just enough of the wall to enable me to wall run up and I totally like got a good push off and I went up through the hole and I was like, oh my god, I made it! And everybody's like, Yeah, and like we all like totally made it. Like it was so exciting. Like we were like cheering and happy that like all of us got in there and we pulled it off. It was pretty awesome. And I mean it would have been terrible if I had not made it and I would have been really sad and probably would have started crying. But the feeling of like all of us making it through. And pulling off that, re- I mean, by this point, we had been playing for like probably two and a half hours or so. Like it was a pretty long session of just like trying and trying and trying. And I'm really glad it ended in, in victory for everybody, which was awesome. So really, really proud of that. Really cool moment. Really fun moment. Uh, fun because we won. Would have been less fun if we didn't win, but we did win. So that was cool. So good times, good times uh, in Warframe. Um, So we're going to be pushing on to the end and uh, I'm sure I'll have more exciting stories next time. But uh,
0: still loving the game. Still loving it. That sounds like some Hideo Kojima bullshit that they brought in for those challenge rooms. Oh, dude, you know, it was inspired by um, Destiny, I'm sure, you
1: know, because people are always like the beginning part of Destiny is just, you know, as you know, it's just like shooting, 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 bunch of dumb bullshit. But then everybody always says with Destiny, the best content is the end stuff, like doing the raids and all that. I've never done a raid because you need to have multiple people for that. And I just didn't really like the game that much. But I'm sure that this was something that was inspired by that, because it seems very similar to what I was hearing people talk about with some of the Destiny raids. So you don't need as many people. And in fact, some of the challenge rooms you can even do by yourself or with two people. It just so happened that we had come across some of the ones that need more people. Uh, But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's what the inspiration was to kind of add something a little bit more uh, that requires a bit more brain power, a little bit more challenge, or a little bit more, um, a different skill set, you know, because most of Warframe is running and jumping and shooting, but, you know, you get to a room like this where it's all about figuring out what the goal is, where do I need to go, and then executing on that is really difficult, so it was neat. I mean, it was really neat. It was really cool. I had a lot of fun, and, um, apparently there's more stuff to come. I mean, uh, Patches was telling me that there are actual, like, quote-unquote, like, raids where you need to get, like, eight people together to do some of those, um, And interestingly, you know, people say that if you don't have a lot of friends in Destiny, like it's impossible to do those. And so a lot of people get locked out of that content. And apparently Warframe is having the same issue. I hear that nobody ever does the raids because you need to have too many people together and that content never gets played. So I think the developers are actually reviewing that stuff and maybe they're going to change it up because having a group of four is fairly common. um, But getting eight together would be a lot of people. And especially for something that high level. I mean, if you do a low level mission, there's tons of people who are at low level just doing the easy stuff. But when you get to the end game stuff where we're at, there's a lot less people playing because it's a lot of work to get there. So I think finding eight randos at any given time to do one of those missions would be really, really tough. So I hopefully they will review that and maybe make some changes because I would like to go through all the content. I mean, my goal right now is to do everything in the game. And I think that's pretty reasonable, um, considering how much progress I've made and, you know, the wife is around to play and stuff. So I've got a partner for most of it, but, um, We'll see. We'll see. But good times so far. Really enjoying it. Um, And uh, hopefully the the next couple challenges will be, I wouldn't mind them to be a little bit easier because I got to say, it was really fucking stressful (laughs) to make that jump. I was really, really stressful, but I'm glad I did it. So good times. Good times.
0: Well, good. I, uh, I guess I will be looking forward to every weekly update for good God the rest of the time we do the show ever for eternity. Gonna run this into the ground, Corey. Prepare <laughs> yourself. <laughs> All right, let's move on, dude. I um I knew
1: that you were on the road and didn't have a lot of time to play games and I was kind of jotting down random ideas over the week that we could talk about um just to kind of just, you know, fill some time and uh and get some things out. One thing I wanna talk about, Corey, and we you can just, you know, you no, know, don't have to do this structured way. We can just bullshit just back and forth, ping pong, whatever. Um, I, I kind of want to talk about our game of the year process, uh, I guess specifically for so video games, but also just for us as people, just as critics, as writers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I'm looking at a lot of the game of the year contenders and I'm seeing like the same games pop up for every critic like, you know, nobody's put out a list yet, but they're coming really soon. And a lot of people are talking about them in the Twitter sphere. And I just see the same like five and six games pop up and pop up. And I know that most people's top 10 is going to be the same five games in a slightly different order, right? Like it's going to be Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, Wolfenstein 2, maybe Prey, maybe a couple of the games like, you know, and a lot of these games, I just really either didn't care for that much or bounced off of. And I'm looking at my personal list. We're not going to talk about these right now because we'll have nothing to talk about when we actually do our show. (laughs) Um, But like the shit on my list is like on nobody else's list at all. And that's fine. I don't mind, you know, going against the grain and having a different sort of list. I've always done that. That's always been me. So no big deal. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, I just, I didn't have a good time with a lot of these quote unquote best experiences that other people have had this year. Like a lot of the games people are holding up just didn't really stick with me. And some of the things I was thinking about were like, what, what should it mean to pick your game of the year? Like, I think traditionally people have been picking whatever game is published that year. But see, the thing that really got me thinking about this was Warframe, but also um, Soma. And there's been a couple of games as well where I've said this before on the show, but there's really no reason to ever play a game within the first year of its release because there's going to be patches, there's going to be adjustments, there's going to be updates, there's going to be fixes. So if you play something at release, it's generally not the best version of that game, no matter what it is. And if you come to it after a year, then that's, you know, the developers have had time, they've added content, they've changed things, they've polished things up. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, does it really matter? Like, should I really think about game of the year in terms of when it's released or should I just throw that out the window and think about what was the things that I've really enjoyed the most this year? I mean, obviously Warframe's like four years old, but I think like it's been the most fun I've had this year. And so I'm like, you know, how do I, how do I capture that? This game was not fun four years ago, but it's really fun now. Like it's a really great experience. Does that count? Does that not count? Talking about Soma, I haven't played Soma yet, but I've heard a lot of people rave about it. That game is, I think, two years old at this point. They're just about to release a, you know, combat-free option or death-free option or whatever. Um, That sounds really interesting to me. I'm planning to play that as soon as it drops. I think it's coming in two weeks or so. Uh, But that's an old game. Like, it's not a brand new game. I mean, I guess you could technically say it was released because it's a new version, but it's really just a new mode. Like, it's not really a new game. Uh, Same thing with uh, Dead Rising 4, I don't know when that game originally was released. I think it might have been last year. I'm not sure. I think it was last year, actually. Uh, but they're just about to release a new version, which has a bunch of fixes, difficulty fixes. It has new content. It's got new modes. I like that series a lot. I was really planning to play that. But it's again, it's not a new game. But if history holds, it'll be an experience that I will really like a lot. And so I'm kind of like, I mean, I really want to hear your thoughts on this. But it's like, maybe it's time for us to kind of revamp what we think of as game of the year. Like, should it be... What fucking game you liked the best that year? Or should we stick with what game was released this year? Or should it be some combination? Should it be something else? I mean, what are what are your thoughts, Corey?
0: Well, traditionally, whenever I do my game of the year list, and I've done this for, I think, not very long, maybe like the past couple of years, um, and I'm doing it this year too. Whenever I play a game, I have a list in the Notes app on my phone of every single game that I've played during that was released during the calendar year so we're talking January 1st to December 31st and I um if I finish the game I keep a ranked list of every game I've played that year so even if I finish it and if it's you know the the 30 the 30th best game out of 30 games that I played that year I still put it on the list if I don't finish the game I put it on a separate list that is not ranked in any way it's just my list of unfinished games and what I do is I so far I have never counted a game that's come out a different year in my game of the year list because I believe that um that you know it's kind of like when you think about like the Oscar seasons or the Golden Globe season or something like that. Like, I think about the games that came out only during the calendar year, kind of like movies, you know, only came out more or less during that calendar year. Or they have, like, a cutoff date or something. Like, I think it's, like, the Grammys that has a really strange cutoff date for um, for what they decide is eligible that's not, you know, January to December. Um, but uh, that also includes, like, last year I remember – um, there were a ton of like, quote unquote, like HD versions or like definitive editions of games that came out. And I count those on my list too. Like last year I had Resident Evil 4, 5, and 6 on my list because those came out for PlayStation 4 last year. I had, um, oh geez, I had a, I think I had Dishonored Definitive Edition on my list, if I'm not mistaken. Um, or, you know, one year I had that on my list. So anything that came out during that calendar year, if it, even if it were, like, an HD collection, and I count that, like, say if it's a pack that came together, like, last year the, um, the uh, Amnesia Collection came out. Um, I counted, even though both games are packaged together and there's no way to count them separately, I count them as separate games. So I didn't just put, like, the Amnesia Collection as, like, number 12 on my list. I put Amnesia... Uh, Dark Descent as one game, and I put Amnesia: at Machine for Pigs as a second game, uh, ranked varyingly on my list. And um, and on my list too, I put a little. I think it was I put like a star or like an asterisk next to if the game were an HD re release um, that I played that year, that I played for the first time that year, um, as opposed to if I had played it before in its original release, like uh, like. Um, Amnesia is a perfect example because I had never played Amnesia or its sequel and even though it was uh it was an HD re-release it was my first time experiencing those games so it made me feel like there was a little more weight in putting them on my list because I had never experienced them before and obviously in a case like like Resident Evil 4 HD Collection I mean Resident Evil came out several years ago and it's been re-released about 600 times since it originally came out like obviously Resident Evil 4 is like a great game but I'm not going to like give it my game of the year so i would like more often than not rank hd collection games like a little bit lower in my list thinking like okay well this is a re-release i'm not going to count this as like a brand new game because that would be kind of silly you know i know like uh, Dan Weissenberger, who was a uh, you know, friend of the show who we had on a few episodes ago, I remember for game critics, he gave Spelunky Game of the Year like a bunch of years in a row because it kept coming out on new platforms. Um, although I think that's funny and it's you know, kind of cheeky and maybe like a technically correct thing to do, I would never do that. I would never be like, oh, Resident Evil 4 is my Game of the Year in 2016 because I don't really think that's fair. Um, But I also count uh, significant DLC releases as standalone games. Like this year, I have, uh, for Deus Ex Mankind Divided, the last uh, DLC pack that came out, um, I can't remember what it's called, like a Criminal Past, maybe? Um, I have that in my list this year because I feel like that is a significant enough standalone experience to warrant it being um, its own 2017 release. Um, But on the flip side like, say, for example, Candleman, I do not have Candleman's DLC listed as a separate game because I feel like the DLC is so closely tied to the original campaign itself that it doesn't really deserve its own, like, um, like, ranking on my list, so I kind of package them together. Uh, But, like, in your case, I feel like for, like, if you were to rank, like, say, like, Dead Rising or uh soma like the combat free the safe mode i think they're calling it like if you were to put yeah, that right. yeah. on your list i think you could definitely make a case for it and put like you know soma and then you know like in quotes like the safe mode or whatever um because people would know what you're talking about but i personally i mean for you like maybe you'll play the safe mode of soma and maybe i mean it'll just blow everything else you played out of the water. And maybe it'll, honest to God, be the absolute best thing you played this year. Like, I don't think that's going to be the case. But say, you know, for example, that is the case. Like, I personally would not feel comfortable, like, if I had never played Sumo before, putting that as my game of the year, or maybe even in my, like, top three, just for playing the re-release safe mode, because the game is, like, two years old. But I certainly wouldn't have a problem with ranking it, unless it was, like for sure the absolute best thing totally the best thing i hit it like totally played that year out of everything um then maybe but i would probably keep it ranked a little bit lower with the idea that it came out a couple of years ago now for warframe that's a little trickier because warframe is pretty old but you could potentially make a case for the fact that they just released the whole new, like, update with all the new stuff and all the new missions and whatever, all the shit that they put in it just, like, a couple of weeks ago. Like, you could maybe put, like, Warframe, you know, parentheses, whatever, 2017 content update or whatever, you know, they want to call it. And sort of make a case for that being, uh, you know, like, in your top 10 or top 5 or whatever, um so I don't know that that's a lot of my thought process on how I rank things, but um, I don't know if that was helpful or if you have any questions or input about about that.
1: No, I mean I think that is helpful because I was um, <clears throat> just fishing for opinions because I mean, like you, I mean, it sounds like you're pretty traditional when it comes to like the year of release. I mean, that seems like it factors big into your thinking, which is totally understandable. Which is how I've always operated. Um, this is this is the first year in my life when I have really started to look at that and and see if that really reflects something that accurately shows how I feel or how I felt the year went or if that gives an accurate picture of what I truly felt like were the best experiences that year. I, th- I think a lot of this is really driven by the fact that we didn't have to think about this too hard before because there was never, um, you know, new content being added. There was never a DLC that radically changed the, the campaign. There was never... Um, you know, foundational updates that, you know, big time changed like the core experience of something. I mean, usually game comes out, you play it, that's all there is. And then you just move on. And so whatever happens in a year happens in a year, pretty clear cut. And in that situation, I feel comfortable drawing that line. And I have, I mean, I have, I mean, you can go back to GameCritics.com. Uh, you can go back. I mean, I think I've got like at least like 13 or 14 years worth of um, top tens on that. So you can, you can see that's how I've always operated and I haven't had a problem with that. But it's just been this year with all these multiple examples of games where like they're technically not a new game, but something is different and it may be a really good experience for me. And on top of that, I mean, just just the nature of like how things are so malleable these days. Like, I mean, it's something we're also talking about in the review sphere in general, where it's like a game comes out and there's problems, but, you know, some people are doing like tentative reviews. Some people are giving first impressions and waiting, and then some people are Uh, filing reviews right away, but then in two weeks, the review is invalid because the developers changed something. So it's like, we're kind of in this weird state where it's it's a lot harder to draw that line. It's a lot harder to say, this is my definitive review, and this is what the game is, because that might not be true in two weeks, might not be true in six months. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm still thinking about it. I'm just like with the changing nature of how games work you know what what does it really mean to have a great experience in a given year like what where do those lines fall i don't know i really don't know i don't know what i'm going to do i don't know how other people feel i mean if l- people are listening i would love to get your feedback i mean do you feel like games that are older but then get a big content update does that qualify them to be a new experience should we change how we think about game of the year in general like should we just think about what was the best thing you played that year i mean i've seen some people who don't even follow that date convention at all and just say, oh, I played XYZ game this year for the first time, even though it's like five years old. And I thought this was great. So this is one of my games of the year. I traditionally have not followed that model, but I mean, people have done it. I don't know that that's what I want to do, but I kind of just, I don't know. I just, this is the first time when I've really started to question what I want my criteria to be. So I don't know. I would love to get some more feedback from the listeners and I'm sure that we're going to talk about it as the game of the year show draws near. I mean, it's almost December now. So we've got basically about a month left to really get our in together and, and get a final list together and think about what we're going to do. So that was just my opening salvo. I mean, we don't need to come to a decision now. We don't need to have a final answer <laughs> now, but just something I was thinking about, something I was thinking about, um, kind of related to that. This is also the first year and I'm very, I'm very curious to see what you think about this, Corey. This is the first year when as a critic and also just as a person, uh, oh, 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 let me, let me back up, let me back up, let me back up. <laughs> back it up, back it up. So back in the day, back in dinosaur times, um, it was possible to like play every game that was worth playing. Like there was a time, believe it or not, that you could pay attention to the reviews and pay attention to the critics. And if you had all the systems, it was possible to literally play every single game that was worth playing in a year and really give a very comprehensive game of the year uh, verdict. That is not true now. I really don't think there are enough hours in the day. I don't think that there's enough time in the year. I mean, every game that's worthy of consideration, there are so many games coming out these days, like so many games, more games than ever before. And there's more every day. I just, I really don't think that it's possible for one person to really play every game worth looking at in terms of like a game of the year discussion. I just don't think you can do it anymore. And I struggled with that for a long time. I have kind of a completionist streak in my personality. Like, I keep a lot of lists. I keep track of things. I, you know, I look at things, gather information. Um, I'm not usually a real laissez-faire, whatever-strikes-me kind of gamer. Like, I feel like I'm pretty organized and I, I try to keep up with things. But it's getting harder and harder. And on top of that, like with life, I mean, with my job, with my family, with just getting older, where I just you know, don't have as much free time or I just don't, you know, don't stay up until three o'clock in the morning every day anymore because I got to get up because I'm fucking tired and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This has been the first year when I kind of have just started letting things go. And it really feels weird to me. Um, so I want to ask you, Corey, I mean, for me, what this means is like, let's say, for example, I asked, I asked people on Twitter, hey, what what games are you considering for game of the year? And I'll get like all this feedback, and I'll be like, oh, "Okay, well, I've played a couple of those, but there's like seven or eight I haven't played." And it's December, or it's almost December. In the olden days, I would have been like, "Gotta get my shit in gear, gonna play <laughs> all eight of those games, gonna play them all, gonna get through them, gonna give me my definitive answer." This year, I'm like, "That's nice," and then I'm just not really gonna play those games, <laughs> and I'm not really gonna not gonna check those out, and it just feels really weird. And this is literally the first year that I've ever been like, I'm just, I just, not gonna, <laughs> not gonna do it. Just not gonna. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do you, do you have that sense? I mean, I know that you don't play every game. Uh, I know that's probably not your goal, but do you, do you, do you share any of those feelings that I'm, I'm, I'm laying down here, man?
0: Well, I mean, it's, I feel like there's definitely a certain, like, you know, uh, circle of reviewers, if you will, that. You know that they feel like that they have to play everything, or they have to play what they would consider like the most like notable games um, uh, of the year of the yearly release. But I mean, whenever it comes to like what I personally play, like I've never been one to think that I had to play every single game. Like, like even if uh, you know, even like because I'm thinking about like earlier when you were talking about like what people are going to name on their top five or top three of the year. I mean, it is you know, without a doubt that most, you know, quote unquote, professional reviewers, you know, it's going to be like Breath of the Wild and Super Mario, you know, are going to be like in their top three. And I haven't played either of those. And I'm, I mean, I can't play Super Mario because I don't have a Switch, but like I have Breath of the Wild readily available on the Wii U. And I'm not going to play it because I just don't, I mean, I could be wrong about this because I haven't played it, although I've watched Patrick play it. I just don't feel like it's a game that I would like. And, you know, there's a certain, um, you know, sphere where like there's games out there that you just don't, that you have a feeling that you won't like. And there's an entire possibility that you could be wrong, but I'm not going to, maybe this is irresponsible or maybe it's the responsible thing to do. I'm not really sure, but I'm not going to sit down and force myself to play Zelda Breath of the Wild. In the off chance that I will like it if I'm expecting it to not be my kind of game, because I don't want to, like, I never play a game just so I can heavily criticize it. Like, I never go into a game thinking, man, I really hope I don't like this so that I can say a bunch of mean (laughs) things about it. Like, that's just not because I would rather just not play it. And that's how I am with a lot of games. Like, I have a feeling I won't like Zelda, so I'm not going to play it. And if I had a Switch and if I had Mario, I wouldn't play it either because I haven't played a Mario game thoroughly since Super Mario 64. And I feel like that my tastes have changed in that time and that those are games that I'm just not really interested anymore. So I'm not going to put myself through the paces and play a game that I think I might not like whenever I could be over here playing another game that I'm really looking forward to or that I think I might like or that I think deserves my attention. And it comes down to like, you know, I mean, I guess the responsible thing to do would be like when you ask people what their games are and what if there's something you should play. Because I've been seeing this a lot on Twitter where people will say like, hey, here's my list of, like, 15 games I'm still interested in playing for the rest of the year. Like, people, like, tell me what you guys think I should play. I mean, I feel like the most responsible thing to do, and this might sound, like, maybe shitty, is to play the, the quickest games first. Because, like, if you have a 40-hour game and you have a two-hour game, like, you can play the two-hour game in one night. And then you can move on to something else. I, I like. I don't know if that's the responsible thing to do, but if you're looking to get the most games you possibly can, I feel like playing the shorter games would be the better idea because uh, then you can play more of them. But maybe, you know, maybe you'll play six indie games that are two to five hours long, but you'll have to sacrifice like. Assassin's Creed Origins it's going to take you 600 hours to complete or Breath of the Wild which is going to take you like 30 or 40 or however many hours to complete so I don't know I just think that people like you and I included and anyone who does this kind of list I mean like if your goal is to play a bunch of games and you know write about them and make a list and give you know fair criticism and and what have you you need to know what you're into and you need to Um, you know, have an idea if you might or might not like a game going into it. And I mean, there's been times before where like, you'll send out an email that has a list of games to review in it. I will, um, you know, I'll type the title into Google. I'll look it up, and I will barely know anything about it. And I'll say, okay, I'll take that, because I don't really have anything better or more pressing to play. Like, a perfect example of this is Kona earlier this year. I played Kona in, like, March or April when it came out. Really kind of had no idea what it was. I had never heard of it when you emailed it out. I took the review code. I played it, and I loved it. Uh, It's in my top 10 of the year, and I had no idea about it. So, I mean... You know, the same thing happens with the Oscars, with the Golden Globes, where, like, you know, you sort of have an idea of what movies are going to be, like, Best Picture nominated or Best Actor or Best Actress. But there's, like, you know, for every one of those movies, there might be, like, five or ten indie movies out there that 15 people have seen that end up being, you know, that are totally remarkable films or, you know, that many people agree are are great. I mean, it's kind of makes me think of Candleman too. Like you and I both played Candleman. We loved it. Candleman is in my top 10 of the year. I adore that game, but I swear to God, you and I are the only people that have played that game. And I mean, at the end of the year, I'm going to be raving about it. You're probably going to have some nice things to say about it. And everybody's going to be like, what is this game? Why are these two, like these two guys are the only people in the entire review sphere that have it on their list. And I mean, I guess sometimes that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, I, I did actually do what you said earlier about like uh, trying to look at the shorter games and playing those. Before I had before I had completely like let go of trying to catch up with things, <laughs> I wrote a list of all the things that I thought I should play. And to be perfectly honest, like half of them were games that I kind of just weren't really that excited about playing in the, in the first place. But it was like, uh, I you know, as a critic, I still feel like some responsibility to play certain games that are in the discussion. I mean, for example, like Wolfenstein 2, I feel like I should play that. Because a lot of people talk about it, it's relevant politically. It's uh, you know got current themes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just, I just don't fucking want to play it. Like I just don't. I just kind of just don't want to. But um, I made a list of stuff, and then I went to
0: um Have you been to that website, Corey? I haven't. I saw you tweeting about it the other day, but I did not look it up.
1: You should. Uh, you should check that website out. It is actually one of my favorite websites. I don't talk about it all that much, but. It is a wonderful website where you go to this website and you type in the name of a game and it will tell you the average how long it'll take to finish just just finish it how long to finish it with like 100%. Um, you know like whatever modes are there it'll list the modes and it'll say oh if you want to do this mode it's this many hours and for this other mode it's this many hours. So it's super helpful. So I went down to howlongtobeat.com and I entered all the different games that were on my list and I like wrote down like exactly how many hours it was estimated for like each one. So I'm like, okay, if I do these three first, these are the short ones, I can knock these out and then I get to this other one and I, I totally had this spreadsheet planned out. And then I'm like, you know what? Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. I just don't care. I just don't don't want to. I'm in a different phase of my life right now. I just I just can't. I don't want to. So, it's weird for me to be in that space. This is the, again the first time that I'm really considering my new game of the year parameters. Uh, also the first time that I've ever really not felt the drive to play everything that I needed to play in a critical sense. And so I feel really strange. Like it feels, I mean, it's, it's freeing in some ways, but, but in other ways, it almost feels like letting go like in a not good way. Cause I guess I've been, you know, it must be like the control, the control side of my, my personality, you know, like to have things locked down under control and and to manage those things. And, you know, as an editor, I mean, you kind of have to do that. So, I mean, it's never going to go away. I'm never going to be Mr. Freewheeling, um, you know, don't have a care in the world. I got a lot of stuff to juggle. And I I think also, to be fair, that goes along with being a uh, self-employed person. You have to have things locked down and and manage things very effectively or else you're going to be out of a job (laughs) real soon. So I'm good at doing those things and I think it fits my personality. But I think just from the the aspect of I don't have enough time in my life to play all these games, I kind of don't want to play some of these games. I'm getting more choosy. And I mean, a little bit of a tangent here, but something that I think about all the time, and we may have talked about this on the show before. I apologize, folks, if we're repeating ourselves here, or if I'm repeating myself, but like you have to think of your life, and maybe this is just me because I'm older, but like I think of my life as a finite resource. Like we all have an hourglass that is f- hovering above our heads, and the sands are ticking away, and you never know how much you've got. Like you assume you've got, you know, the average. X amount, I mean, what is it? 75 years for the average male in America or something like that. Whatever, 70, 75. If you get more, great. If you get less, that's a bummer, but we never know how much we have. Uh, but the fact is, we're all going to die at some point. We, you know, None of us are cool vampires who have all of eternity to read all the books and watch all the movies and play all the games. It's just not a thing. So, I mean, it, 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 I think about it constantly now where I'm like, how many games how many hours does this game require? And then that game is going to subtract that many hours from my lifespan. (laughs) Like, do I want to give that many hours of my time on earth to this game? And think about it in those terms. Like it really changes the way you look at some games. Like when I see people who talk about, oh, I'm going for the platinum and I'm going to play this game. I don't really like this game, but I put 200 hours in because I wanted to finish it. And I'm like, dude, You just spent 200 hours of your life, your life, bro. How many grains of sand was that? Like, what could you have been doing? Like, you know, I just constantly think about, is a game worth spending your fucking life on? Um, And I, you know, it really puts things in perspective. And so I think that maybe with that in mind, I'm kind of okay, like letting a lot of these games go that ordinarily in the past I would have played or would have felt more compelled to play. But now that I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. This is going to take 40 hours of my life. No, I've only got so much life left, dude. I got to If I'm going to spend it on a game, like number one, spending lifetime on games is crazy when you think about it, but we all got to do something, right? So it's like, if I choose games as my fun thing, and I do, I'm I'm Mr. Games, that's fine. I made that choice a long time ago, but it's got to be something good. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to play mediocre games anymore. I'm not going to (laughs) play games that go on and on and on for the sake of going on. Like if I'm not having a good time, uh, in the sense that it's not interesting or it's not challenging in a good way or it's not bringing new ideas like it's just something to play I can't do that anymore man like it's just like it's eating up my life span on earth dude that is not okay
0: <laughs> You know what I mean like is this is this connecting at all I mean I know what you mean but this discussion is getting way too grim and dark for me I think oh, I'll give it 10 more years dude let's check back in
1: 10 years and I'll be like Corey remember episode 59, 10 years ago? And you'd be like, no. And I'd be like, dude, play it back. And you'd be like, yeah, lifespan. I mean, it is grim. It is grim. But like, it's just something you got to think about, you know? Like, and I'm like, man, I just, no more. No more mediocre games, no more bad games. No more keeping up with games just because I feel like I have to. Like, I feel like I need to maximize that time, that experience. Because it's a finite thing, my friend. Like, we are not going to be here forever as sad as it is to say that. So that is something that I think has also changed for me as well. Sorry, don't mean to bring everybody down. <laughs> uh, people listening at home, don't be depressed. I, I apologize. But, you know, this is what's running through my head. And I figured I would get that out and uh, infect you all with it. So maybe maybe it will make your gameplay decisions a little different. Do you think that you will uh, look at your game selection slightly differently from now on, Corey? Uh,
0: probably not. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure as I get older, <laughs> I will think more about this stuff. Because, I mean, right now I'm in a stage of my life where I have a lot of free time and I have you know, I have a lot of free time, I don't have a lot of responsibilities. And I actually have, I mean, it's like the exact opposite of what you have, like, I have more time than I can handle to play games, I just don't have like the money or the means to buy all of them, Um, you know, and, and maybe like the the physical drive to play all of them. And even I'm like, pretty choosy with the games I want to play just because I don't want to play games that I think I might not like, or I think that aren't for me or something like that. Um, But I mean, that's kind of how it's like slightly how I do like movie watching too. Like I, I mean, I only go to the, to the theater. I love to see movies in the theater, but I only go to the, to the, to a movie theater maybe like once a month, uh, like maybe twice if I'm like really, you know, like really in a good space or something. So I'm very particular about the movies I want to see at the theater because I only want to see what I think is going to be like the best or something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, And I know in in my deepest, in my heart, the the depths of my heart, that about 80% of the time, if I miss a movie and it's theater run, and if I don't see it before it exits theaters, I will probably never watch it. I just have a really hard time sitting down and watching a movie at home. But if I see a movie in a theater and I love it and I buy it, then I'll watch it 30 times at home or 10 times at home or however many times I'll put it on while I'm editing photos or doing something. But it's really hard for me to like sit down and watch a movie at home that I've never seen before. Um, I don't know why that is. It's just a weird thing. uh, And I'm sure other people do it too. So I don't want to act like I'm some like, ooh, like weird quirky guy and only I go through this. But, uh, But I'm very choosy about what I see in the theater. And so I feel like that's a little bit about like we're on the same page in that way about how we, um, approach maybe games. I mean, I don't go into a movie thinking like, Oh, I'm going to see this. And you know, there's two hours of my life. I'll never get back even if I like it or don't like it, but I'm very choosy about theatrical experiences.
1: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm, I mean, I'm much the same way um, when it comes to TV or movies or something. If it's not something I'm dying to see, I'm like, Nope, Nope. Can't spend a lifespan on that. not going to waste time on that. So that's, Definitely why I'm very choosy about um, about stuff like that. That makes perfect sense. makes perfect sense to me. So, all right, dude, just one more quick thing. And then that'll be the end of our really quick topics. We don't even have to even really talk about this if you don't want to, but I wanted to just throw it out. I kind of um, referenced this a little bit when I was talking about the Switch games earlier in the show, but I hate to say it, but I feel like I'm getting close to like retiring my 3DS. Um, you, you have a 3DS, don't you, Corey? Uh,
0: Patrick has a 3DS XL, but I... It's to steal your line. It's funny that you bring this up because I like never ever play it, but I'm actually playing Metroid <laughs> Samus Returns this week. So for the first time in like a long time, I'm playing the 3DS consistently. But yes, I do have one, but I rarely touch it. So I
1: have used my 3DS quite a bit. I mean, I, I love the Vita, I have always loved the Vita. Vita is awesome, but I also have loved the 3DS. I, have, I was able to love both of those things at the same time polyamorous when it comes to my portals. <laughs> um, so I have had a great time with it. I've, I've brought it with me to work many times. It's been a faithful friend. I really enjoy it very much. Um, played many of uh, many really wonderful experiences on the 3DS. But, you know, the games are fewer and fewer in number. And it seems pretty clear that the Switch is kind of like becoming that new thing. And the other day when I brought the 3DS with me I uh, to work and I had some time, I was like, man, I do don't really have anything to play on it. And it felt really kind of weird. I mean, there was, you know, of course, games that I hadn't played yet, but nothing that really leapt out at me, nothing that I was really dying to get to. Um, I think I'm going to play the new Shovel Knight content when that comes out, the King Knight stuff. But after that, I mean, I still think I need to get to Monster Hunter Stories. But after those two games, I honestly don't think there's anything left on the 3DS that I really, really want to get to. And it feels weird to think that I may just like mothball it, you know, like it feels, it's been such a faithful friend for so long and it's been such a reliable go-to and it's, uh, you know, constant companion that to think about retiring it has kind of hit me a little bit harder than it has (laughs) been with other things. You know, I've packed up other systems before I've said goodbye to other systems before, you know, I recently took all the batteries out of my, um, my PSPs and I just packed those up thinking I'm never going to come back to those uh, the Vita hasn't been touched in a while. There's still one or two games I want to play in the Vena, but honestly, it's kind of in the same spot, but I don't know. It just felt kind of weird. I'm like, oh, my dear friend, the 3DS, we may be, <laughs> we may be
0: coming close to the end of this journey. It just kind of got me a little bit, man. Well, I haven't, um, like, like I said, I have a 3DS XL, but I don't play it that much. And, uh, so I'm not really like super in tune with what all is, you know, like coming out like weekly for it or monthly or what have you, But, uh, like, I want your opinion on this. Now that the Switch is out, which, I mean, the Switch is, like, technically a portable console, do you think that Nintendo is going to start, like, weaning stuff away from the 3DS to bring it to Switch instead and kind of slowly, like, kill the 3DS off?
1: I, I totally do when it comes to, like, new games. I think that that is what they're shooting for. I think they're trying to bring their two markets together. They've had struggles when it comes with having one portable and one home console. I think it's like usually one or the other. Um, and I think, that especially in recent years, I think they've really struggled with that. And the 3DS has propped them up for a long time. But I think that they are nearing the end of that road. I mean, technically, the 3DS, I mean, it's 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 harder and harder to get good-looking games on that system. Um, the last Monster Hunter looked terrible on that system, and it was not <laughs> a perfect fit. So I think that they are going to start seeing more of the big budget stuff on Switch and do that slow switch over. I don't think they're going to kill it immediately because, I mean, there's still a billion kids out there with 3DSs. They're still selling the 2DS. I mean, everybody in the world seems like they got one and it's it's out there. So there's still going to be things for it. But I don't think it's going to be like, oh, the new hot thing is on 3DS. It's going to be the new hot thing is on Switch. But there's still, you know, stuff. There's going to be like Barbie, Horse Ranch, and (laughs) Uh you know, Mickey's Art Studio and you know, whatever generic platformer. I mean, there's gonna be stuff for the three DS, but not to the point of where like people
0: like you and me probably need to start
1: to keep paying attention to it, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And like uh like I'm only maybe like an hour or two into Metroid Samus returns. And I mean, other than like maybe like Pokemon and stuff, like Metroid was like a really big three DS release for um for Nintendo this year and the whole time I'm playing it, and I mean, it's like, fine, like, there's nothing wrong with the game. I'll probably, I'll talk more about it next week, because I'll have a, a firmer grasp on it to, to discuss it. But the whole time I've been playing it, like, in the back of my head, I keep thinking, like, I wonder why they didn't put this out on Switch. Like, of course, in the future, they might do, you know, like, a Switch version of it, because there's, there's no reason not to. But it just seems like, I mean, not that I don't support them putting it on the 3DS, but it's like, I don't know. I just keep thinking like, why, why the 3DS? Like, why not put this out on Switch, which is like, you know, their new, you know, the new hot shit? Like, why, why? I mean, is it them trying to say like, oh, we're still believing in 3DS and we're still putting stuff out on it? Because I feel like the game, like, I don't have a Switch, but I feel like I would rather play it on a Switch than on the 3DS.
1: No, I agree. I was surprised that they didn't announce it for the Switch. Uh, recently we got, uh, a review code for one of the Phoenix Wright games and I had to do kind of a double take because I thought for sure it was going to be the switch, but it was for the 3DS. And I'm like, I even emailed the PR guy. Like, Are you, is this correct? It's for the 3DS and not the switch. So, I mean, there's still stuff coming out and I, I think, it, I, I think that they probably will bring some of that stuff later. Uh, but I think they probably don't want to let go of the 3DS quite yet. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, yeah, I just think they should just really start moving stuff over. I know they want, um, to keep both those markets alive for as long as possible makes sense. But like, I mean, honestly, the games just look better on the Switch. They control uh, just fine. And it's just, it's the new thing. So I think um, we're kind of in a transition period right now, but I think before too long,
0: you're going to start seeing anything that's worth talking about is probably going to be on the Switch probably within the next year. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'll be interested to see, you know, it's, it's weird how we always have this, uh, this period in the consoles where like, You know, like, it happens every time. Like, even when the Xbox 360 came out and the PlayStation 3, you'd have, like, the exact same games coming out for the old Xbox as the Xbox 360, but it would just, like, look a little bit better on the Xbox 360. And now the new thing is, like, you know, the HD versions. Like, the Tomb Raider reboot came out on the Xbox 360, and then when the Xbox One came out, the Definitive Edition came out for it. So uh, I'm sure I wouldn't put it past Nintendo to start rolling that kind of stuff out, where we'll get, like... Metroid Samus Returns, like Switch Edition, or, you know, like Pokemon, whatever, you know, Switch Edition coming out on the Switch, uh, you know, within like a year after release or something like that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm
1: sure there's going to be, you know, a lot of backwards compatible stuff that you'll have to like buy again on the eShop or something or, you know, Nintendo loves to make you buy the same fucking game like five (laughs) times over. So I'm sure that's going to be a thing. I mean, you know, maybe these things just got rolling in development before it was ready for the Switch or who knows what. Or, you know, they just want to make sure that there's still a few things uh, out there to keep your 3DS around. But yeah, I think the writing is on the wall. I think that we are in the 3DS's uh, golden years. And uh, it'll be sad to finally pack it up. But yeah, I think that's going to be something that we need to face pretty soon. I haven't faced <laughs> it for a long time. I haven't had to think about it for a long time. But I'm looking at it now, so.
0: Anyway, uh, that's all the topics I had for rambling discussion. Did you want to bring anything up? Um, I don't think so. I think that's... Like I said, I didn't have any games to discuss, but next week I will for sure be talking about Metroid Samus Returns. I also am gonna be reviewing a game called Black Mirror, and I will, I haven't started it yet, but I'll probably start it um, definitely with enough time to play it to talk about it next week. So those are gonna be on top for me next week, but I don't, I don't have any, any uh, long or grim or um, heartfelt topic discussions to tackle after those that we just had.
1: fair enough fair enough i have no idea what i'll be playing next week but i'm sure i will find something so in the meantime i guess we should probably bring it home huh
0: yeah let's do that um now that we have concluded games talk and some post thanksgiving topic discussions uh, game of the year discussions and such that will be the end of this show except for banter which is later uh before we go we'd like to remind everybody that you can send us any comments thoughts feedback ideas uh show topics Uh, Any feedback, especially about anything we talked about today, Uh, if you have any uh, feedback about how you do your game of the year list or about how you decide on your top 10 or top five, or if you uh, take a game that came out in 2008 and are planning to award it your 2017 game of the year, uh, we would love to hear your comments about that. Uh, We can be reached uh, for email, sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a comment uh, on gamecritics.com. These shows go up on Game Critics and... Every page that has a story has a comment section underneath it, so you can leave us a comment over at Game Critics as well. And on Twitter, uh, we can be reached at So Video Games is our Twitter handle. And believe it or not, we can be reached individually as well. Brad, would you like to give your Twitter handle out? Yep, it's my name, uh, B R A D.
1: G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, not a single O in my name. Oh, also a shout out to um, superfan Joshua Jackson who sent us a really lovely email uh, this past week. Thank you very much for that email, sir. Uh, he sent us a great list of podcasts to listen to and a little something extra. I will not mention it on the show, but it was pretty pretty neat. So thank you, sir, for that email. Love it. And uh, thanks very much. Appreciate it.
0: Yes, Josh, that was a very Corey, nice email.
1: It was a nice email. Corey, your Twitter <laughs> handle, sir. Sorry to derail you. No, your Twitter it's, handle, it's
0: all good. It's all good. Uh, my Twitter handle is also my first and last name. It's Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And uh, that's it. Brad, do you have anything else before we sign off? That is it. Thanks again, as always, for listening to our uh,
1: rants and rambles. And uh, like Corey said, there's a bunch of banter at the end of the show. If you didn't get enough of us... In the past hour, boy, we got we got some shit coming up for you next. So
0: stay tuned if you are so inclined. Oh boy. Yeah, that's true. We talk about my trip over Thanksgiving. We talk about road trip behavior. We talk about societal pressures about marriage and couples and having kids. We talk about some Netflix shows, uh, The Punisher. We talk about some B movies. So if you want to stick around for any of those uh, discussions, they will be after the show. But for the end of our show proper uh we will be back next week for episode 60 but in the meantime this is bye from Corey and bye from brad we'll see you then
1: how do I sound?
0: Uh, you sound a little quiet, just a little bit.
1: A little quiet, okay. Hang a second.
0: How about now? Whoa, that was intense. <laughs> too, too much? Too much? <laughs> too much. <laughs> how about now? <laughs> that's, I think that's good. Okay. <laughs> how's how's your, uh, your levels there, sir? I think everything's good on my end. All right, cool. Oh
1: my god, dude! So crazy week. Let's keep our fingers crossed that I don't get called out tonight because I'm just like, oh, it's been really, really busy. So, hopefully what
0: percent we... chance do we have that you will get called in the middle of the show?
1: Uh, dude, totally unknown. Whatever I say, it'll be the opposite. So let's just just hold our breath. Uh, not theoretic. What is the word? Figurative. Let's figuratively hold our breath and uh, hopefully we can get through the show because uh, yeah it's been really really busy I mean in, instead of being the so video games podcast it should be the so tired podcast because I just like I'm getting <laughs> fucked in the last couple weeks I took this new schedule because it was supposed to give me all this free time during the day but I don't know if I told you this before but like I didn't know if I was going to get this contract did I tell you
0: that did I talk about this already yeah you had talked about how it was like kind of up in the air
1: Yeah, yeah. So like, I didn't know if it was going to come through, so I didn't want to like not get any work for myself. Like, okay, so like in my line of work, I just I book myself work um, with people who know me in town, so it's kind of like a freelance thing. And I knew this contract was coming up, and I'm like, well, if I get this contract, I'm set, so I don't need to take any more work. I don't want to be working night and day. Like this contract is for night work, and I generally do day work, and I don't want to do both because then I have no time to sleep. And so I'm like, okay, well, I think this contract's going to come through, but then it got delayed and delayed and delayed, and I'm like, fuck, if this thing doesn't come through, I haven't gotten any work for myself and I'm fucked. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills and shit. So I had to take some. So I took some daytime work and then the contract came through. So I'm working like days and nights right now, which is fucking miserable. So it'll, it'll smooth out starting next week. But, um, yeah, I'm kind of, it's been very busy and hopefully, uh, we can get through the show tonight with no interruption. So fingers, fingers crossed on that end. But how are you doing, sir?
0: Uh, pretty good. So somehow you you're working days and nights, and you still have like four games you want to talk about, and like TV shows you want to talk about, and all this other stuff. And I am not working at all, and I have nothing to talk about. So how is that a thing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, we uh, yeah, we we found a little bit of I uh, so much so much so much going through my brain right now, Corey. So much going on. <laughs> Um, me and my wife had kind of uh, come to a conclusion because like I don't know I think I mentioned this before how we were doing my early morning schedule for a while so me and the wife both got this really really early morning schedule and it worked out fine because our schedules were in sync and so we were getting up early I was playing some game before work she was watching shows on the weekend we watched some shows etc etc but now that I've gone back to like a nighttime schedule she has been having a really hard time adjusting and part of that is because you know she's homeschooling during the day my son gets up really early. She doesn't have a chance to sleep in as much as she would like to. So she's kind of like, by default, kind of like locked into the morning schedule, which was like not really working for us for a while. So I think that I think what we're going to end up doing is like I'm going to like stay up late during the week and I'll sleep in during the week because if I stay up late, then I got to sleep in. Otherwise, I'm just going to die because I'll never ever get to sleep. (laughs) But on the weekend, I will get up early and watch shows with her and then I will just go back to sleeping in on the week. So I, you know, I'll make a little bit of a sacrifice by kind of uh, changing my hours to be more flexible to match her hours. But you know, that's what you got to do to make it work sometimes. So we tried that out and it worked a lot better. Um, I think we're probably going to leave her on the morning schedule and I will just be on the nighttime schedule plus getting up early on the weekend. So, which is kind of the opposite. I mean, most people will probably sleep in on the weekend, right? But for me, it'll be opposite. I'll be getting up early on the weekend and sleeping in during the week, which is kind of unusual, but you know, that's the way... Life roles, I guess. So, anyway, that's how we managed to do all this other extra stuff. Like with me getting up and doing this thing, we kind of got some, some, you know, quality time in and some. I got some shows to talk about finally because that's my jam. (laughs) But, uh, so anyway. Well, did you want to. I want to hear about your trip, dude, because you went on the road trip from hell, right? Or at least the road trip in my hell. Uh,
0: I mean, I went on. My Thanksgiving road trip was the shorter of two road trips. The Thanksgiving trip was like about seven and a half hours there and seven and a half hours back. Oh, God. Oh, God.
1: Uh, I can't handle the,
0: can't deal. The, the Christmas trip is going to be the long one. I mean, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to shake out because we're going to be going to like four or five different places over the Christmas road trip. So it's not like we're going to be driving a ton, but... From here to Missouri, like, the first place we're going to stop in Missouri is roughly, like... I think it's, like, 10 hours or so. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God. And the farthest place we're going to go to is, like, 15 hours away. So I reckon in about a week we'll probably be doing about maybe, like, 40 to 50 hours of driving probably in one week span.
1: Oh, that that sounds atrocious, dude. Oh, my God. Like,
0: I got to ask you, though. So
1: when you're driving... Like, what what the fuck are you doing? Because like when I'm in the car on a road trip, I'm just like suffering. That's all I'm doing is just like (laughs) suffering in the passenger seat. If I'm not driving, I hate it. There's nothing that I I can't stand it. Like, it's not good for me. But what are you doing? You're spending so much time in the car or you will be. I mean, you just did the Thanksgiving trip. I saw you uh, get back. But like, are you listening to music? Are you talking? Are you playing game while the other person is driving? Or is one of you sleeping? Like, what does it look like when you guys are, are road tripping?
0: Well, I mean, we talked about this a little bit last week, but I uh I mean usually we just I don't know it kind of depends on on the trip like we've done different things for different trips like sometimes we'll listen to podcasts sometimes we'll listen to music or most of the time we'll listen to music um sometimes we'll listen to nothing uh sometimes one of us will sleep sometimes one of us won't um it just kind of depends. Like whenever we, a few years ago, we went to Colorado and I think that was like a six hour drive or something, maybe seven, somewhere in there. Um, And like, we listened to a lot of podcasts and, um, but like on the way back, we listened to music mostly. So I don't know. It just kind of depends. I'm not sure about how the Christmas trip is going to go because I don't think that we've ever done a road trip that long together. Like I feel like the most we've ever driven together is probably like maybe like eight to 10 hours and the road trip to Missouri is going to be th- that long, like maybe 10 hours or more in one driving situation. So I'm sure like one of us is going to have to sleep a little bit cause we might do like, you know, one of us drives five hours, the other drives five hours or something like that. But, um, I don't know. We don't do anything special. We don't pack like crosswords or like anything like that. Like when we went to for the Thanksgiving trip, I do what I always do. And I, overpack on electronics. So, of course, I have my phone. I brought my PSP. I brought my Game Boy Advance SP, and both of those are still in perfect working condition, by the way. I brought Patrick's 3DS XL. I brought a Kindle. Um, we had his laptop with us, and I never used anything but my phone in the car. <laughs> like I, I, I never got the PSP out. I never got the, you know, the DS out or anything. So, I, I mean, I could have, but... I just didn't uh I don't know I don't know I mean I keeping myself occupied isn't like priority number one I don't think but it just depends on where we're going and how long we're going to be in the car and what time of day it is and how hungry I am there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into it I guess
1: yeah I, hear. I actually do the same thing whenever you go on a trip I usually end up bringing like two portables and then I probably don't touch either one of them except for my phone well and that not counting as a portable so I totally totally know um what you're saying. Let me ask you something though. Uh a little bit related, a little bit off track. And if this is something you don't want to talk about, that's totally fine. <laughs> um uh but like when you guys are traveling, I mean spoiler, you're gay, Corey. So like mm-hmm. when you guys are driving, do you ever get to a place where you're like, uh, maybe this isn't a place that we should stop and get gas. We should probably keep going. Like, you know, is that a thing for you guys? Like, I mean, I don't know. You guys are on a different side of the country from me. And so I'm just trying to think about, like, what is it like for you guys? I mean, is it – do you ever get that feeling of, like, oh, we got to just keep going? Or, no, this looks fine? Or, I mean, I mean, is that a consideration for you guys or not really?
0: Uh, First of all, whenever you started asking that question, I thought you were going to go into some, like, road head position Ah, or, like, handjobs or something. You nasty nasty, nasty dog. I know. I was wondering what you were going to say. But, um, uh, I I mean, I feel like we don't really – I don't know. There's, like, there's a weird, like, feeling about being gay where, like, you never feel comfortable anywhere. Like, there's always this sort of layer of, like, I, like, basically no matter where I am ever, like, there's always, like, something in the back of my mind about, like, not feeling comfortable or wondering if, like, someone is going to harass me or just, like, something like that. Uh, But for the most part, I don't let that come between, like, things that I want to do. But I also feel like, for the most part, Patrick and I can, like, pass for straight. Like, we're not super, like, you know, like, flamboyant or, like, really feminine. And, I mean, it's totally okay for gay people to be that way. I'm not trying to say, you know, that, like, you know, like, feminine guys aren't, like, you know, cool or whatever, because, like, that's, you know, a-okay. But, I mean, I feel like both of us can pass pretty well for being, like, you know, just, like, straight white dudes, um, which is, you know, good to our advantage because it, you know, makes us not seem, uh, you know, maybe people wouldn't threaten us or something like that because we don't seem that way. Um, but I don't know. I mean, anytime we need to get gas, we always just stop and do it. I mean, we stopped like in the middle of Alabama to get gas on the way back on the trip and, um, I mean, like there's always, no matter where I am, there's always going to be something in the back of my mind where I feel not safe. Like even, you know, when I was like on vacation in Seattle and Seattle is like very gay or like when I was in New York and like New York is really gay, like there's always something in the back of my mind where I'm not going to feel safe. But I feel like I can overcome that and I don't let it uh, dictate what I do most of the time, I think. Hmm. All right.
1: Cool. I was just wondering,
0: I was just wondering, because I mean, to
1: be perfectly straight up honest with you, um, you know, if I was driving, I mean, you know, we've already established I'm likely not ever going to be on a road trip that long. But if I was through some unfortunate circumstance and I was driving through certain places, I mean, there's places. I mean, I'm a straight dude and I easily pass for white and my wife is usually with me and we got a kid. So I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, we seem like we're like a normal hetero, you know, normal nuclear family or whatever. But like there would be places like if I was going in the south or something and granted I don't know you know I never spent much time in the south have not been to most places in the south I'm just speaking as like a totally west coast dude like it seems to me like there'd be places where I would kind of be scared to get out of the car and be like no nah, no nah, <laughs> we're going to keep going so I I was just curious man I don't know if that was too personal or what, but I was just wondering cuz um you know I mean that's something to think about you know like 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 you said Seattle's a very liberal place but like if you go outside of Seattle for me like when I go like for work if I'm driving further out like you leave the the I don't know, the the giant, if you leave 20 miles outside the city, things start getting more red and you start seeing people like missing teeth and there's like trucks up on, uh, you know, cinder blocks and stuff. I mean, not terrible because like the city's kind of gentrifying, I guess, but like, you know, we still have a pretty, pretty strong element of like the white trash thing going on. And that to me is actually kind of concerning sometimes when I'm driving around because I look like, um, you know, some city dude or something. So that kind of concerns me, but I'm sure that, I mean, maybe similar, maybe not. I was just wondering if that was a thing.
0: Uh, I mean, it. I don't know. I guess it can be, but I don't, I mean, I guess like, I, I mean, I haven't spent a ton of time in the South. Like obviously I've lived in New Orleans for like nine months or so at this point. Um, you know, I used to go to Texas every year for vacation uh, for like Thanksgiving and stuff. Cause my dad's uh, parents are from Texas, but, um, I don't know. It really just depends on where you are. Like, I mean, like, New Orleans is definitely in the South, but New Orleans seems like a pretty, like, more, like, liberal city. I mean, most big cities, even in red states, I feel like are going to be more progressive. But, like, when I was in Nashville, um, because, like, Patrick's dad and stepmom live about a half an hour out of Nashville, and whenever we were in Nashville itself, like, I was actually kind of surprised about how, like, not progressive Nashville seemed. And, like, I might be wrong about this, because I was only there for maybe, like, 10 hours total over like three uh like three different trips to nashville uh, over the weekend but like it was one of those situations where like you'd be uh, like you'd be walking around downtown nashville and you know like every other store in downtown is like a cowboy boot shop and it's like country bars and like saloon type bars everywhere and like there would be people that would wear clothes that were very like you could just like tell like their political beliefs by the clothes they were wearing you know like there was a guy wearing a shirt that had like an assault rifle on it and there was a guy that had like a shirt with an American flag on it and it that shirt said something like um I think it said like America like love it or leave it or something like that and it's just like stuff like that where like you know like you expect to go to the biggest city in a state and maybe everybody will be like uh like liberal or progressive but Nashville didn't seem that way um but I'm not. I'm not really sure there, because like I said, I was only there for like a handful of hours over three different trips, so it's you know I can't really like act like I know the whole tone of this city. But I don't
1: right. know. No, I hear you. I mean, and that's fair. I mean, you know, like I said, I don't. I have not spent much time in the south, and I just was just working on preconceived notions and things that I pick up from TV and Twitter and from people that I know. And you know, I'm sure that I'm sure that there are many lovely, very progressive people. I'm sure that you know there are many parts that are just great, but you know just it's just something to think about because i mean regardless of that i think there're definitely some some major differences between different parts of the country and that would be something that would be crossing my mind anyway let's move on um what else uh i mean i got a shitload to talk about but i don't want to dominate the whole the whole segment here what else uh what else you been doing besides this road trip man how did it go by the way
0: uh it was okay um it was like i've been trying like for the past 2 days to think about how to describe this trip and like a like PC way. <laughs> um, because like we went out and we went to go see Patrick's dad and stepmom who live like about a half an hour outside of Nashville and they live in a very like white, like very upper middle class, like white person neighborhood, like suburb outside of Nashville. And, and they have a daughter, uh, a young daughter, she's 12. And, uh, and, um, it was the weekend just tested my patience a lot. I guess um I could put it that way. Uh you know, it's nice to see his family, but their family is a lot different than mine and they uh are kind of like half of his family is very like high strung and half of his family is very laid back and when you put the two together in a nuclear family situation and throw in a spoiled 12 year old girl. Um, it was very trying for my patients all weekend.
1: Oh, uh, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny you say that because I meet a lot of people who like say that they never want kids or they hate kids or kids suck, um, especially like on Twitter or like when I'm talking to younger people. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could call me an older guy, I suppose. I don't feel older, but I, you know, compared <laughs> to a lot of people I know, I suppose I'm older. <laughs> And I, I meet a lot of younger people who were like, oh, fuck kids. Kids are terrible. Kids are the worst. And I mean, not, not to apply this to you, but just kind of in general, like I, my first instinct is to be like, you can't say that because you were a kid once too. And like, you're here. So someone had to have a kid. So someone needed to raise you. Someone needed to put up with your ass. And now you're an adult. And now you're like, totally like disregarding, like all the phases that you went through and like what it was like for you. And now you're just like shitting on all these other kids, which is shitty. So therefore you are shitty. Therefore your mom and dad must have done a bad job with you. But at the same time, you know, it is kind of true, like, when parents are not taking care of their kids properly, those kids can be monsters. I mean, I've met a, definitely if a very healthy number of kids who I'm like, oh, God, you're terrible. Like, I don't like you. It's not, I mean, I think it's fine to not like kids specifically, like, if you meet them and they're shitty and they yell and they're got no manners. I mean, I mean, obviously, this reflects back to the parents. Like, you know, you know, that phrase that people always fucking say whenever you say, oh, that dog was shitty. That dog was awful. They're like, no, no, no. No such thing as a bad dog, only a bad owner. But no one ever fucking applies that to kids, and I'm like, that is way true of kids. So I, I get both sides of it. Like, but I but I don't think it's really fair to like condemn kids in general. And like I said, this is not applying to you. This is just something that pops up to me because I when I see people say that like fuck kids, and I'm like, you can't say fuck kids because kids are the future, kids are humanity. You can't say fuck kids because how does our species go on? And you yourself were a kid, so it's not like you popped out of your mom's womb you know, 16 and like with your hipster attitude or anything, like you were a kid also, which really bugs me. But, but yeah, some kids can be fucking terrible, but then again, it goes back to the parents. If the kid is terrible, more than likely the parents fucking terrible as well. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I really like don't like kids either. So like basically I am the person you're talking about, but I also understand that it's the parents that make them that way in a sense. Like, cause I look at Patrick's dad and stepmom and their daughter and I I see that their daughter is a spoiled brat, and then I see the parents that they have, and I say, well, yep, I totally understand why she is that way and what they're doing to make her that way. Um, So, you know, I can't single her out entirely, but their uh, family dynamic is just... um, uh, I don't even know the word to describe it. It is... um, what I am afraid is too common in the United States of America. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you.
1: You know, it's, it's, it's funny you bring this up because this is a conversation that my wife and I have like all the time, because I mean, we are very active and involved parents. And in fact, our entire life like revolves around parenting because it's really important to us. It's something that we both look forward to. We put a lot of time and effort into it. I mean, we've changed Our entire lifestyle to make sure that it's conducive to our our type of parenting, and you know, not everybody does that. Not everybody's able to do that. So, I'm not saying that everybody should or that they well, I think everybody should, but I don't think everybody can. First off, because of the economy, because of the way jobs work in America, because of the regressive attitude we have towards parents. But um, putting that aside, which is like a huge a huge thing, um, I see a lot of parents who like have their kids, and they just like they don't like their kids, right? Like they they have this conflict every... I meet these parents who, like, whenever we get together, the first thing they do want to do is, like, bitch about their kids. And it's <laughs> awkward, because all I ever say about my kids is, like, like good things, because I really enjoy my kids. Like, I think they're great, and um, we have a good time together. We really enjoy spending time together. Uh, and so I don't have, like, stories of bitching about my kids, and it makes us the weird parents, so that's kind of awkward. But it's like, if you don't like your kids, like, look at that and wonder why that is. I mean, to be perfectly fucking straight up honest, it's like if you put your kids in regular school, they're spending more time with other people than they are with you. And so they're picking up all of these behaviors and values and norms that are not yours, because you're at work all day long. And that's really unfortunate. I mean, the the way that our country works is shitty. So I'm not trying to say that if you're stuck in a financial situation where you just you simply cannot spend time with your child. I get that like, and that's really unfortunate. But I meet a lot of parents who can uh, spend more time with their child. And they don't like they they go to the gym or they they need their me time or they need their glass of Chablis or something and they don't spend time (laughs) with their kids. And it's like, you know, there's a reason that people like that your kid doesn't like you when you're a teenager. Like my kid, my oldest kid is 16. We're fine. We have no problems at all. He's not rebellious. He's not full of attitude. I mean, he's a great kid. And it's like because I spend time with him as much as I can. And it's the same thing with my younger one. And it's like if you don't spend time with your kid, if you let your kid pick up these norms from other people that are not you, then of course you're going to come into conflict when you're older. And I mean, on top of that, I think a lot of parents don't respect their kids either. It's like this really weird thing where I see a lot of parents who treat their kids like garbage, like treat them like they're morons, like they have no rights and like they're not people. And then when the kid turns 18, all of a sudden they want them to be responsible and to grow up and get, you know, get right. And it's like you haven't treated them that way your whole life. And so now is it any surprise that you guys can't sit together for a Thanksgiving meal or you don't like each other or they're doing things that you don't approve of. It's because you haven't spent any time with them the whole time. So I mean, it's a really tough situation and I think that America really is built to produce dysfunctional relationships. like the way that we don't support families, we don't support family values. People say they do. Like the Republicans love to say that shit, but like when you get down to it, they don't support any of those policies. And most of the people that I see, whether they're Republican or Democrat, either way, don't really want to spend time with their kids. So I think it's like a really tough situation all around. And I think that really contributes to this idea that kids are horrible and kids suck because, I mean, there's a lot of bad kids out there, but it's not really their fault. It's like the whole no bad dogs thing. It's like, it's only bad owners. I don't think there's any real bad kids. I think it's bad parents, man.
0: Well, and it also speaks to like what I feel like is a larger issue in, I mean, and this might not even be American society. This is like world society where like, You know, I mean, kind of like, you know, when you talk about how you get together with your friends and they immediately start complaining about their kids. Well, I think about, like, sometimes whenever I hear couples who, like, you know, like, say you'll go out with your, like, one of your friends who's married and their partner isn't there. And, you know, like, that person will immediately start bitching about their partner. Like, oh, my wife does this. And it's like, okay, well, then, like, why are you married? Like, you know, there's, like it's like people feel pressured because this is what like American and world society does. People feel pressured to be in relationships because there's this big, like, you know, like, uh, you know, it it like looks bad if you're single and if you're not in a relationship and then suddenly you feel pressured to be in a relationship with someone and then you feel pressured to get married and then maybe you have a kid, maybe it's by accident and either you don't believe in, not having the child, or you don't believe in, uh, you know, giving it up for adoption. So you just follow through, you have the child, and then suddenly you're stuck with the partner you don't like, and you're stuck with the child that you didn't really want in the first place. So maybe you're not going to put that much effort into raising it. And then you're going to end up with a really not great entire family situation because of all these, like, societal pressures that say that you need to have a partner and you need to get married and you need to have kids because that's the way it's traditionally been done. And I, I just like whenever I see people bucking that attitude, like whenever people aren't afraid to be like single and childless when they're like 35, you know, and stuff like that, like, and people who don't feel pressure to, you know, get married when they're 18, like right out of high school, then have, you know, four kids by the time they're you know, 20. And it's just like stuff like that. Like I think about that with me and Patrick, because Patrick and I are almost 30. We've been together for almost 10 years. And if we were a white straight couple, we would have been married like eight years ago and probably would have like three kids by now. And it's just like, I much prefer the way that we have things now, rather than dealing with the pressure of society of like, immediately getting married and like, kicking out kids left and right, because that's what society says that you're supposed to do.
1: Oh, yeah, dude, I totally, totally agree. I wish that more people would do what they wanted to do, rather than what they feel pressured to do. I mean, the thing you said about like getting together with couples and bitching about partners, that is I mean, that's we, we totally go through that too. Because when I <laughs> get together with people, and I don't do this often. I mean, I'm pretty, um, I, I I'm pretty I like to be, I don't want to say I'm antisocial, but I don't really need to go out and <laughs> hang out with a lot of grownups when I have time off, right? I like to hang out with the family. But when I do get together with grownups, Just exactly like you said, dude, you were spot on correct, where they're like, the first thing they fucking do is bitch about, oh, whatever, you know, my partner's this and my partner's that, blah, blah, blah. Like, all this really, like, terrible shit. And I'm just, every time this comes up, I'm just like, why the fuck are you married? You know? And, like, in the next sentence, I'm like, oh, I married my best friend. We are so in love, blah, blah, blah. Oh, fuck him. I can't wait for my girls' night out and do this stuff. Or, oh, I can't wait to go on a, you know, guy's night and all this stuff. And I'm like, why are you, why are you? If you have a night out, I mean, not not that there's a problem with, like, wanting to go out with the girls or the guys or whatever, but, like, they kind of say it in a way of, like, it's like an escape for them or, like, they can't wait because they can't stand their partner's shit. And it's like you're with the wrong partner if you don't like to spend time with them. If you cannot be in a room with your family for, like, a couple hours and have a good time, you shouldn't have that family. Like, your partner is the wrong (laughs) partner. You shouldn't have had kids. I mean, it's like, come on. Like, I meet so many people... Oh man, you know, I, I mean, this is like a huge. This is a huge. <laughs> this is such a huge topic. I mean, we could talk about this for like hours and hours and hours. Uh, and I love talking about relationships. I think it's wonderful. I really enjoy it. But I meet so many people who like are obviously not in a relationship they want to be in. You know, like they are not with the right partner. Like, you know, there was this guy that I was um, uh, friends with in school, and he was really pressured, as a lot of guys were in my school. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is something you relate to or not. But like when I was uh, in high school. Uh, I was it was there was no secret that I was into like bigger girls like I like plus size women. That's just, you know, the style, the, the body shape that I am attracted to. And I wasn't shy about saying it. And because of that, I got made fun of like a lot, um, even within my own circle of friends. Like I was really kind of like outcast for that. And everybody at my school was like, oh, we got to like everybody was like the skinniest, the blondest you know, having big tits was okay, but you couldn't be fat anywhere else on your body. And that was the only body type that was acceptable. And if you were a guy and that was not your type, then what was wrong with you? Because you're fucking weird. And, you know, like there's a lot of this like shaming and weird negativity and stuff, but it was like at that time, even though I didn't have any friends, um, so whatever, I can see whatever I want. Cause like nobody liked me, which is fine. <laughs> but like, I was okay with that. Like, it was like, I know what I want and I'm fine with what I'm getting. So I'm happy. Like, it doesn't bother me. You know, like you can, think whatever you want about me, but you're not the one uh, who's in bed with me when I'm doing what I'm doing. So like, it's not really <laughs> not your fucking concern. Right. But a lot of my friends um, after the fact, like I, you know, they all kind of played into that, that mentality. And I just, as the years have gone by, I've seen like, oh yeah. So you really weren't into that type. Were you? Oh, oh, you were actually gay. Weren't you? Oh, okay. Oh, and you, oh yeah. Your, your girl doesn't look like what you were chasing in high school. You know, like you see, like, once people, if they finally do get to that point where they can finally be honest with themselves about what they want, and it even goes deeper than that, honestly. Like, it goes into, I mean, this is, like, a totally other, <laughs> other divergence, <laughs> but, like, but like sexual preference, dude, like, it's so important. And I don't just mean, like, gay, straight, etc., but I mean, like, if you're not able to be open with your partner about the shit that you want to do when you're getting down, like, that is a recipe for disaster, because if you can't be honest with your partner, you're not feeling fulfilled with your partner, that's just going to lead to resentment and cheating and problems and frustration and so like I mean I, I meet a lot of people who like who are not open about what they want to do and they just are really frustrated all the time and it's like man if you were simply more honest if we could all be a little bit more honest and just say who you are what do you like what kind of person are you when there's no one watching like you know if you had no limits what kind of person would you be and if you can't be that person it's going to make you really unhappy. So, I mean, I think in a larger sense, I mean, I wish I wish society could get to that point, you know? Whatever kink you have, as long as it's not hurting somebody else, whatever type of partner you like, whether you want kids or not, whether you want to be single or not, anything. I mean, if we could just be more honest about that and not bow down to those expectations, I think everybody would just be so much fucking happier, dude.
0: And I also wish that people, like, can you imagine how many problems in the world would be solved if people just minded their own business.
1: God, no shit, dude. No fucking
0: shit. (laughs) Like, honestly, that's all it would take. Like, all you'd have to do, like, if it's something that doesn't affect you or, like, your family directly, just mind your own fucking business. Problem solved. That would solve so many fucking issues if people just minded their own business. And if people did not feel the need to give their input on everything, especially whenever they don't know anything about the topic that they're trying to give their input on. Oh, yeah, dude, absolutely. I mean,
1: that's, I mean, you're right, you're right. When you're right, you're right, and you're right. Because, like, if it doesn't affect (laughs) you, shut the fuck up. Don't bother anybody about it. Get the fuck out of here. Like, seriously, like, it does not matter. I mean, it reminds me of the legislation people were doing to try to make, you know, gay relationships uh, illegal or, um, you know, interracial relationships. People forget that, like, interracial relationships were, like, illegal in this country until a relatively recent time. I think it was, like... I want to say it was like what's 60 or 70 years ago like they were illegal and like now i mean i think most people don't think of it as a big deal but it was but that doesn't affect anybody who the fuck cares i mean like who cares who you're fucking who cares who you sleep with who cares who you marry like it doesn't matter if you're not in that relationship <laughs> doesn't fucking matter you know so uh, i you're right man i 100% 100% agree i wish people would shut the fuck up because honestly it doesn't take any effort to do nothing right like if you see somebody and for whatever reason that person pisses you off whether it's their hair their clothes whatever you're assuming about them if they're not interacting with you it doesn't have any effect on you and all you have to do is nothing (laughs) you can think whatever shit in your head you want think all the poison hurtful things in your head that you want you don't have to say them and you don't have to do anything about it you can just go about your business and that person will leave your site, you'll forget about them, you go about your business, you go back to your life, and that's it. Like it, it takes no effort to do nothing. And it does take effort to be like a bigot or somebody who's spewing hate or somebody causing problems or somebody else, or for god forbid, somebody who's like enacting legislation to control somebody else. That takes a lot of fucking energy and effort. And it's like, why don't you just stop? It's just it's just knock the fuck off and do nothing and everybody will be fine. <laughs>
0: Uh, there's nothing i can add to that but yes all of that all right let's move on i think like if our (laughs)
1: listeners are listening this far they're like oh my god what's going on (laughs) in this fucking show what is happening (laughs) all right let's bring it let's let's reel it back down to earth uh i got i had some regular shit i wanted to talk about i was gonna talk about well okay okay i got one story this actually ties in perfectly to what we were just saying. I wasn't sure if I was going to find an an opportunity to share this story, but this is a perfect window. So I was talking to a friend of mine uh, last week and she was telling me the story. And as she was telling me the story, I literally could not comprehend what she was telling me. Like I had to keep stopping her and be like, wait, say it again. Wait, what? And I just like, it blew my fucking mind. So like, so going along with what we're talking about, about expectations, uh, norms, mores, et cetera, et cetera. So my friend's great-grandmother was pregnant. Wh- whatever year this was, I don't know what year this was, but you know whatever a great grandmother would be. So my friend is probably she's fifty five, so however you want to figure that back generationally, whatever. <laughs> so her great grandmother was so concerned about society and about what people thought of her family and so forth and so on that her daughter, my friend's grandmother, got pregnant uh, and was not married. And what happened was. The girl who was pregnant, who was my friend's grandmother, was forced to stay inside the house the entire time that she was pregnant, was not able to leave the house because it was important and imperative that no one see that she was pregnant. So she did not leave the house the entire time when she started showing, right? And so my friend's great grandmother had, she made a fake, a series of fake pregnancy bellies for herself. And she went out to town and made a point of like showing it to that people would see. And she's like, oh, yeah, pregnant again. Got another bunny in the oven. Ha ha ha. And so it was really her daughter that was pregnant. But she was going around town with this fake prego belly. And then when the daughter had the baby, she told everybody in town that it was her, her, her daughter so that the mother was raised as the sister of the baby. Does that make sense? Is that confusing?
0: That makes sense. Yes. Okay.
1: Thank you. Because I was really trying to think... When my friend was telling me this, I'm like, wait, who was doing what? And the pregnant (laughs) was what? And who? So what happened was the, the baby grew up its entire life up until it was about 30, thinking that its mother was actually its sister that entire time. And it wasn't until the grandmother, the one who wore the fake pregnancy belly, died that she felt comfortable enough that the mother felt comfortable to say, hey, just FYI, actually not your sister, actually your mom. And can you imagine, can you imagine, number one, can you imagine like somebody turning to you and being like, BT dubs, I'm actually your mother, not your sister, after like 30 fucking years. And also, can you imagine all the work of like going to like being seen with a fake pregnancy belly because you're embarrassed that your daughter got (laughs) knocked up. And then just the societal pressure and the fear that anybody's going to find out and like all the crazy, I mean, was my friend was telling me this i'm like jesus fucking christ are you kidding me that's the most insane story i've ever heard it's like a fucking like lifetime movie or some shit like that but she's like no nope, that's my family totally happened i'm like oh my like blew my mind dude just blew my fucking
0: mind that story seemed like i i was like okay okay like this seems like pretty feasible until you mentioned that they waited until like the kid was 30 to i mean i could see like it happened and then whenever maybe the kids like 5 or 6 be like oh hey i'm your mom but 30 is extreme for a reveal like that oh yeah dude i can't even imagine i mean 30 years
1: old and like all of a sudden your sister is your mom like dude how <laughs> mind blowing would that must have been you know like that's ridiculous so i just i mean i mean that kind of really just goes into what we're talking about how we let expectations really drive our behavior and how how awful that that person lived in a time when they felt going to those kind of extremes was necessary. I mean, it sounds so fake. It sounds like a made up story. But my friend is like, nope, swear to God, that's exactly what's going on. So oh, crazy, fucking <laughs> crazy, crazy. <laughs> anyway, okay, sorry. I, I'm glad I found an opportunity to share that story because I really want to share it because it was crazy. But uh, let's move on to some other stuff. Um, TV, movies, let's talk about it. Corey, I just watched the first four episodes of The Punisher. We talked about this last time. I wasn't sure when I was going to watch it. Mm-hmm. And we watched the first four episodes. It's really good, dude. It's really good. I know that you're not a huge superhero fan. Um, and I'm not going to talk about this much, but uh, John Bernthal, as I said last time, is a really good actor. He brings it for this role. Like, you really believe him very much. And they spend a lot of time establishing the character, why The Punisher is this way. You know, like, what happened? Do you know the, the background of The Punisher? Like, do you know this
0: gist or much about him at all? uh isn't okay I don't know this officially but I'm gonna take a guess from context clues that I've picked up wasn't I know that didn't his like wife and kid get murdered and he's on like a vengeance quest about it or something so it's like Max payne E.
1: yeah exactly that's exactly it they've kind of changed his background in the show as compared to the comics but it's largely the same I mean he was like a war veteran in an elite unit Comes back from the war and then he sees his wife and two kids get murdered, like in front of him. And so it like sends him spiraling off the edge. And um, he goes off on this revenge trip. And you know, he's like, you know, the war vet who's got all the skills and the knowledge about how to kill efficiently. And he's, you know, awesome with guns and et cetera, et cetera. So he goes off on this uh, bender of killing a bunch of people. So in the show, they really spend a lot of time not killing like which is kind of weird i mean you'd expect it to be just like a shoot 'em up all the time i mean there's definitely a few sequences in the beginning but they spend a lot of time with him showing like how how lonely he is and like how like messed up he is that he keeps having these nightmares all the time and he just can't get rid of these visions in his head that he keeps seeing his his family get murdered over and over and you know i that really kind of connected with me because i've had some bad shit go down in my life before we don't need to talk about it now but like i mean nothing is as extreme as what uh, the Punisher has <laughs> gone through. I mean, just, you know, not that bad. But um, yeah, I've been through some shit. And I mean, that, that really kind of resonated with me because there has been a time in my life in the past where, uh, where I was having kind of flashbacks and like these recurrent memories and bad things keep cropping up in your head and it kind of messes with you after a while. And so like seeing him talk about that, I mean, and, and show it was really, it made a lot of sense to me. Like it rang really true. Like putting aside his status as like the Punisher, but just seeing somebody who was going through that, I thought was really well done. They also really tie in a lot of, um, like, war stuff and veteran stuff. I mean, talking about veterans coming back from the war and how poorly they're treated by the government and how rough it is for them when they come back. And there's, like, a lot of, like, real good commentary going on. I mean, mean, none of it is, like, groundbreaking. I mean, I think if you're familiar with the character or if you're familiar with veterans in general, I mean, I think a lot of this is stuff that people talk about uh, often. But it's nice to see a show, like, really taking the time to really, like, address it. They really dig deep into it. And for something that's, you know, quote unquote, a superhero show, they spend a lot of time just on building the characters up, which I think is really great. I mean, I hear that it gets super violent at the end, and I would be honestly really disappointed if it didn't, because I mean, the Punisher is all about killing bad people. Uh, But like, they've really taken their time. But it doesn't seem like it's a waste. Like, it feels really good, like they're building and building and building. And I really appreciate that. So um, only seen the first four episodes so far, I will probably see. I'm going to try to squeeze in at least four more this coming weekend if I can. Uh, But yeah, so far, so good. Really, really good. Um, Not a disappointment at all. I would say it's very excellent.
0: I have seen some, and I haven't seen the show, so I can't speak to it, but I've seen some uh, hot takes or maybe some lukewarm takes on the internet who have um, mentioned that the show, like some other Marvel shows on Netflix, uh, seems a little too long and like kind of like dances around and kind of like it doesn't have the fat trimmed as much as it should so once you get to the end of the series I'd be interested in hearing your take if it um if it actually is that way or if you think it's paced well
1: yeah I'll fill you in man I know that um I have heard that several times but I think people say that about every single Marvel show on Netflix sometimes I agree sometimes I don't like I think that um people said that about Daredevil. And I think that that was true. I think Daredevil could, either of the series could have been a couple episodes shorter. That would have been fine. But when it came to like something like um, Luke Cage, which I think, I think people liked, but I don't think people liked it as much as I liked it. I really appreciated they took the time to talk about him, his neighborhood, the situation, they touched on larger racial themes. And so I thought in that case, it was really um, time that was well spent. But yeah, that's a pretty common take. And the Punisher is up for the standard. uh, I think it's like the Netflix 13. They usually do 13 episodes, I think, which sometimes could be shorter. So I will keep you posted. Um, the other show I wanted to bring up again, touching back on Veronica Mars, finished the first season. Interesting, very interesting. So the whole gist of Veronica Mars season one was that, I think we mentioned this before, uh, she was raped in the first episode and also her best friend was murdered. And then the season, the first season kind of unfolds with both of those things about who raped her, what happened at this party, because uh, she was drugged and who killed her best friend. And I got to say, as the season went on, I, I honestly did not see the reveal coming when they finally got to the killer. They do unravel both of those mysteries at the end of the first season, which I was really thankful for because I can't stand it when shows drag it out and drag it out and drag it out because it inevitably gets bad. Like if they don't answer those questions within a reasonable amount of time, it just, it spirals out of control. Mm-hmm. So they answered all the big questions, which was great. Didn't see that coming but I was pleased with how it turned out. I thought it was interesting and good. Um, So that was fine. And I do recommend that first season, but we started season two, we got a couple episodes in and uh, I I don't know, you know, you've heard of the sophomore slump for TV shows, I'm sure where like a a strong first season is usually followed by a weaker second season. So far that definitely seems to be happening. Like they have kind of made some really weird choices with the character that seem to kind of go against who she was in the first season. And like, it seemed to kind of skew a lot more about teen romance than it did in the first first season. I don't know if that was, like, a ratings problem they were having at the time. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to appeal to a different demographic or whatever. But it just seems all of a sudden, like, there was a lot more skin being shown and a lot more time spent on just, oh, I love him. Oh, I don't love him. Oh, I love him. When the first season was not really about that very much. So we're going to keep watching it. We're going to watch the whole, the whole run of it. But season two is kind of... Um, not super grabbing me so far, but, uh, we shall see. We shall see. Have you, you haven't seen any of that show? Have you, Corey? I have not. All right. Well, I will keep you posted. Uh, whether it's, I mean, you should see the first season at least I think is worth watching. Uh, but we'll see about the rest. Um, quick shout out for, I'm going to stay on the Netflix tip here. A movie called Kill Command. Um, I think I mentioned before that my son and I like to watch like B movies, sci-fi movies really cheesy stuff that I usually can't get my wife to watch. And so we'll, the two of us will uh, (laughs) make some popcorn or we'll snuggle up on the couch when the wife is doing something else and we'll watch some. So we bookmarked a bunch of like really shitty looking movies on Netflix and we're like, you know, we're like, oh, hey, this one's got one star. Yeah, that's our jam right on. Save it. (laughs) And so so we'll watch it. But we watched a movie called Kill Command yesterday and I got to say, it was actually really good, like legitimately good really tiny budget you could tell because the sets were really small this cast was really small. Uh, but the special effects were really good so they spent the money where they needed to spend it, which is on the special effects. and I thought the script was pretty solid and the performance was really good. This is a movie about a group of soldiers in the future who go to a training island to, to participate in some military training against uh, drone drone soldiers like this company is making unmanned um, robot soldiers for future combat, you know, it seems to be the, the thing we're heading to in reality. And so they go to this island. Of course, something goes wrong. The robots go haywire. Uh, lots of killing, shooting ensues, et etc. Et so, I mean, it's not the most original sci-fi premise, but like, I thought it was really well done. The action was really cool. The writing was really good. Um, it kept our attention like the whole way through. And my wife actually was walking by and she's like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, it's one of her movies, you know? And she's like, oh, really? and she kind of watched it, and then she kind of sat down, and then she, like, finished the whole movie with us, so, like, she actually, like, thought it was good enough to join in and watch, and, like, that never happens, like, ever, so I would give definitely a recommendation for Kill Command, it's on Netflix, I think it's a Netflix original, I'm pretty sure, it seems like it is, Um, but, I mean, it's full-on a B-movie, low budget, small cast, Um, you know, don't expect, like, a giant blockbuster, but for what it is, I thought it was really good, like, it was genuinely good, it wasn't it wasn't so bad. It's good. It was just like, it was just legit good. Like it was a really good movie. So <laughs> if you like things like, um, predator or terminator or aliens, it's definitely in that vibe. Like it kind of cribs a few vibes from all those things. Uh, but I thought it was really well done and just, it was definitely worth watching. It kept, kept our attention all the way through. So definitely um, check out kill command if you swing that way on Netflix. So, uh, I think I'm going to call it good there. Anything else you want to toss in for banter, dude?
0: I don't think so. I think uh, our discussion about my trip and parenting and relationships and societal pressures was certainly enough for my half. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we definitely
1: covered some fucking ground there, didn't we? All right. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's talk about some games. you want to talk about some games?
0: Let's talk about some games. Let's talk about some games.